0: The Incomparable, number 332, December 2016. Hello everyone and welcome back to The Incomparable, and as it's the week before Christmas, that can only mean one thing. Yes, it is time for another 8,000 hours of discussion about the latest Star Wars movie. I'm your host, Anthony Johnston, and we are, of course, going to be discussing this year's so-called anthology movie, Rogue One, A Star Wars Story, which from now on I'm just going to call Rogue One because life is too short. But not too short to assemble a ragtag band of rebels. The same rebels, in fact, who discussed The Force Awakens with me last year. So, once again, please welcome from Scotland, we have James Thompson.
1: Hi there. I realise we're a plucky band of rebels with regional accents, so hopefully we're all going to make it out the other side of this podcast.
0: Oh yes, yes. English people always survive in Star Wars. (laughs) (laughs) I'm doomed. Uh, Also from Scotland, Liz Miles.
2: Yeah, I'm much closer to the border. Does that mean I'm more likely or less likely to die here?
0: i think more likely (laughs) and finally our honorary scott dan moran
3: i'm not going to do an accent but i feel like i have a good chance of actually surviving this podcast
0: (laughs) yeah you probably do Uh, and before you all ask my paternal family are all scots irish so away with you um we should mention also right up front that this entire episode is one big massive honking spoiler (laughs)
2: My goodness, wow, Liz I, is I, leaving now.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so, do not listen if you haven't already seen the movie or you don't want to know what happens because uh, the chance of us spoiling it is well, it's high, it's very high,
3: it's near 100%. It's pretty I, Just
2: They all die.
0: <laughs> um, first thing I need, want to ask all of you guys has anyone, have any of you had time to listen to the first Rogue One Incomparable episode yet? I have indeed. Oh, well done! I haven't. I
1: haven't had time. Yeah, I wanted to listen, so I wasn't going to come up with anything that had been debunked in
3: their
0: episode. <laughs> you see, I, I'm probably going to do that.
3: <laughs> I decided if we're going rogue. We're going rogue. Hey, yeah, yeah. not beholding myself to anything that was said or not said.
2: Yeah, I, I, I didn't listen. I don't want to. I don't want to hear. I went on the internet to look at other people's opinions, and I like lasted about five minutes.
0: That's. The... <laughs> you outraged by their opinions. whatever.
2: <laughs> yeah, just as
0: some context for listeners, we are recording this on Tuesday 20th, so it's only five days after the movie opened here in the UK, and, you know, I think less than 48 hours after the first episode of The Incomparable talking about this movie uh, came out. So, yes, we may well contradict things that were said in that one. Uh, we may repeat things that were said in that one without realising it. Uh, tough. Live with it.
2: Or we can just make things up, which I think is a legit thing to do.
0: Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, So... Okay, let's go round before we get into sort of because we're going to get into details, uh, obviously, as we go through it. But how about first just some general sort of thoughts and overview of what you know? What did we think of this as a Star Wars movie? Did you like it? Do you think it you know fits into the the sequence of movies, the modern style of the movies? Just overall, what did we think, Liz?
2: Yes. It was a very, very good Star Wars movie. It was very Star Wars. It had weight and there was grime on the little ships and everyone looked a bit sad sometimes and it felt like a proper Star Wars movie. I didn't leave the cinema with that horrible feeling of sick nausea that accompanied slightly earlier Star Wars movies. (laughs) Nausea, confusion, distress. It was a very difficult time. This had none of that. This was like, this is proper. This is very proper Star Wars.
0: Fair enough. Um, James, what about you?
1: Well, going into this, so we knew that they could make a good Star Wars movie. And before I went to see the Force Awakens, I watched the holiday special to set my oh. expectations
3: <laughs> at the what? lowest point, Weird sort of appetizer, James.
0: Wow,
1: that was the right
0: thing to do. <laughs> no, it was not.
1: <laughs> disputed,
3: disputed, heavily disputed.
0: I,
1: I went into it having seen the absolute worst, so I yeah, it, it could only go up. But as we saw, it was a really good film. But now I had the the opposite problem of my expectations were high. Uh, before this, I actually, I played the, um, Star Wars Battlefront PlayStation VR mission where you get to fly an X-Wing around and escort K2SO bringing Jin to the Rebels. And it, it was really, really good. So I went into this with my expectations a bit too high, but it actually matched them all. Um, and
0: I really liked it. Oh, excellent. And what about you, Dan?
3: You know, it's it was an interesting experience for me in part because I watched this movie in India, um which was a bit of a change from my previous viewing. But um I, I you know, it's hard to know what to expect and how to expect and how to calibrate yourself. I mean, I didn't go the James route. I'm not, I'm not self-destructive. Anymore.
0: <laughs> You're not insane.
3: <laughs> yeah, exactly. So I don't want to be pejorative, but you know, hey. Uh, and so it, it, we've never seen a, a Star Wars movie that is self-contained uh, and that doesn't fit into the sort of overall like saga, you know, main f- sequence of the the stories that are being told. And so it, it was an interesting experience, but I wasn't really quite sure how to calibrate. And so I, I think I spent a lot of time watching with a very critical eye. Um, and and in some ways, maybe that lessened my enjoyment because I felt like I had my my thinking cap on. I still I still liked it a lot. Uh, I had a good time. I had some nitpicks, which I'm sure we'll get to at some point. But overall, my my impression was positive. I, I do feel like I need to watch it a couple more times to really sort of uh, let it sink in. Now that it's like over the for the first time, and that I don't have to like have my expectations anymore. It's mm-hmm. like all right, I watched it for the first time. I know what happens now. I feel like I can go back and not have to have all those expectations hanging on me. So I'm really looking forward to, uh, to repeated viewings and seeing how it holds up and seeing if that reinforces some of my criticisms or whether they diminish over time. Um, I feel like with The Force Awakens, some of mine diminished over time as it became more familiar. Um, but, you know, it's, it's always interesting to see. And I, I think these, these anthology movies are going to be a very interesting exercise for those of us who have followed this franchise for so many years uh, because because of their, their varied and self-contained nature. So it was, a, I think, as a first effort, as that goes, it was pretty great. And yeah, I'm, I'm pretty happy.
0: Yeah, I think, uh, I think you'll probably, it sounds like you and I uh, uh, were initially on the same page at any rate, um, but I have seen it again since. And that did definitely sort of You know, uh, make me feel more positive about the movie seeing it Mm -hmm. another time. So I suspect that may well be the case for you. Because like you, I did enjoy it. I really did. But I did spend a lot of the movie kind of thinking about overthinking things, I think, and turning Mm -hmm. things over in my head. And also noticing just how many things in the trailers were not in this movie oh yeah oh that
3: really bugged me the whole time i was was talking to my girlfriend afterwards and being like hey this line wasn't in it that shot wasn't in it right yeah yeah
0: it it was just nuts um i mean I I, james were you about to mention that video that's out there yes i
1: I was (laughs) Uh, so somebody has taken all the unused shots from the various trailers and edited them together into a trailer
0: (laughs) and there are 47
1: of them and wow. w- watching it it's like watching the trailer for a sort of parallel universe version of this film because it's so different and literally none of the the shots in this this edited thing are are actually used well
0: and not just shots but like the shots that there that there are that didn't that were in the trailers that didn't make it into the movie imply entire scenes like entire sequences of action that just hit the cutting room floor oh,
3: well, and some of them that were so like front and center in the marketing too right like this yeah. was at least the one of the most iconic images from i think the first trailer is the that last shot of her in the tie fighter in the you know yep. armor get up in the circular court or whatever nope that's not in there yeah,
2: i think i think that's one thing that might help the second time because I've, I've only seen it the one time i think the fact that I'm now prepared for right. all those trailer shots not being in there is not going to throw me out a bit because I know that at the climax I was a little bit, hang on a second, wasn't there a TIE fighter there last time I saw this? Yeah. Yep. And there yep. was the overwhelming disappointment of not having Ben Mendelsohn deliver the word power in that way. <laughs> that was pretty devastating. Uh,
0: yeah, exactly. That's it. That was exactly my experience, was watching it a second time without those expectations because you know I knew what shots weren't going to be in it now really did... Yeah, make me feel better about it. And by the way, that TIE Fighter shot we should mention, because this only came out uh, recently, but allegedly that shot of her on the walkway where the TIE Fighter rises up to meet her, that was at the end of the second trailer. That was created specifically for the trailer, apparently. It was never actually intended to be in the movie, which I am really angry about, actually. I
1: I think that's a really,
0: really bad thing to do. Yeah.
2: Yeah, that's underhanded.
1: <laughs> it feels kind of misleading, you know, and deliberately misleading. I mean, I can understand with the first trailer where they didn't really know yeah, they don't have a 100% yet. where they were going. Uh, but then in the later trailers, you would have thought it would have converged.
0: Well, and especially when, as Dan said, the, the end of the first trailer was her wearing the TIE Fighter suit. Now, obviously, this is Star Wars. People dress up in Stormtrooper armor all the time. So you know, there was kind of, there was always a sense of, well, she's probably just in disguise. But there was also a suggestion of, well, hang on, she's a criminal and she's an outlaw and she's a a rebel because she rebels, um is she actually a traitor
1: Well there was also that there was the line uh, in one of the trailers about you know what will
3: you become Well it's in fact, Saw's whole speech from that trailer which none of which I believe is also right. in Yeah the it's, movie. it's yeah. in the
0: movie yeah yeah but so when you have that and then you end the next trailer with a shot of her that appears to be her leaving somewhere to be greeted by somebody in a tie fighter you know there is they can't have not realized that there was an implication there that possibly this is a story about yeah you know about her betraying the rebellion or something um now obviously it might not you could use those exact same shots and actually that's not the case at all but they must have realized that that was one implication people would take away from those trailers and so to create that shot only for the trailer. Yes, it succeeded marketing-wise because it it was one of the things that got me really excited for this movie. But ultimately, it kind of worked against them because it was one of the things that really sort of when I came out of it watching it the first time, I was really kind of like, that was not the movie I was expecting, and I'm really conflicted as to how I feel about it.
3: Yeah, I mean not not to not to derail too much, but the uh, I've definitely had this experience more in the recent years watching trailers and then going into movies. And finding that I'm looking for scenes that were, that I, you right. know, especially movies where I watch the trailer like a dozen times, like, you know, Force Awakens or something like that. And I find myself looking or anticipating or expecting those lines and I feel like that sometimes does dampen my uh, enjoyment of movies because I'm like I've got that like critical part of the brain going where I'm like okay this makes sense this is where the scene would slot in and so you know when you get through you're waiting and you're waiting and that payoff is never delivered and you find yourself thinking "Uh, okay I'm distracted and I just missed a bunch of stuff because I was waiting for something that I thought was coming and then didn't turn out to be coming.
1: One of the things uh, we were advised against watching the trailers by a certain <laughs> employee who is hopefully not listening to us talk right now and uh, i now wonder if his advice not to watch the trailers was not because oh there's so much in the trailers that spoil the film Uh, it's that the trailers don't represent, uh, what is, was in the film. So maybe that was it.
0: You know, I want to emphasize, I really, really enjoyed this film. Even the first time around, I really enjoyed it. It was, as Liz said, it felt like proper Star Wars. Just like we said about The Force Awakens, everything felt like, oh yes, this is real Star Wars. Uh, even though I will note this movie was shot entirely digitally, whereas, Force Awakens was shot on a 35mm like, like the original trilogy. Um, but, you know, this movie does have several flaws. Um, and we, we are inevitably going to talk about them. But I really did have a good time watching it. And I would rank it. Well, <laughs> I would rank oh, this. Oh, as, rank I would. <laughs> <always> I no. <laughs> Well, and especially when you hear this, I would rank this as the fifth best Star Wars movie ever. Hang now,
2: on. Let me considering the there have only...
0: There have, been, considering okay. there have been eight and three of them were prequels that may not sound like much but
3: <laughs> it's because solid, solidly in the middle well the thing is the original trilogy <laughs> wait wait hold on Anthony important questions like okay which where do the rest of them fall because yeah, like yeah, right, three prequels at the top <laughs> the, the
0: original trilogy are at the top they're untouchable yeah. because you know A New Hope Empire and Jedi are just automatically top three, um, and but in that what, order. What order
3: actually, have you me,
2: p- Ah, all. interesting. Whoa. Whoa.
3: Whoa, Well yeah. done. Okay. No, well fair. done. Fair. fair, fair. I disagree, I, but okay. Look,
0: I love rewatching Empire as an adult because it's the most complex movie. But nothing can beat that joy and escapism of watching Star Wars for the first time. You know, for the hundredth time when I was a kid, uh, and and so on down the trilogy. I really like Jedi. I know a lot of people. I know, love Jedi, but I love Jedi. It's a great, great movie and a great way to end that trilogy so take that original trilogy out and then all you're left with is the uh, prequels which are down in the bottomless pit of hell uh, <laughs> and that only leaves two other movies
3: yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So, I mean, that is the only important question right now is, do you think this was better or worse than Force Awakens?
0: I think Force, well, I wouldn't say this was worse than Force Awakens because that makes it sound terrible, but I do think the, I enjoyed Force Awakens more and Mm. that's, that's, I want to make the distinction, I enjoyed it more. I'm not necessarily going to say it's a better movie. I think in terms of lack of plot holes (laughs) and things like that, (laughs) this may actually be a better movie, but I enjoyed Force Awakens more. Um... I did enjoy this one, just not as much.
1: I would say, uh, visually, I think this is superior to Force Awakens. Oh, just in controversial. the way uh, okay. some of the yeah. shots are put together, um, yeah. especially the, like, the blowing up uh, chunks of planets and stuff on Scarif and things like that. I thought there were shots in this that were re- really amazing. And, I mean, I did see it uh, on an IMAX 3D, biggest mm-hmm. uh, screen in <laughs> Scotland, uh but but i still think there was stuff in this that was superior to the force awakens which is not to say that i i mean i think force awakens is a is a i i enjoyed it a lot more but it's a different kind of film and we'll get into that i'm sure but you know it's the kind of the, the force awakens was fun and was pushing all the sort of um good feeling buttons whereas this not quite so much
2: I think this also hit a much higher highs with the X-wing Tie Fighter dogfights than the yes. Force Awakens managed yes, to get to, agreed. which were those were ones. I think I I love the Force Awakens, but I think that was one point in that movie where I felt just a little bit disappointed because I didn't get the thrill that even with um with the uh, original Star Wars with the fight at the end. It's it that's I mean that's still the best one really. It's just beautifully <laughs> choreographed dogfight, but here I was getting that same thrill, this is really exciting and really cool and really awesome that we didn't have in The Force Awakens, even though yeah, I, I do tend prefer for so just cuz it was a much it was a much more upbeat movie.
3: <laughs> yeah, I think that's part of it, right? Like there's so there was a much there's so much joy in that movie in a lot of ways.
0: Mm, right, exactly. There was a sense of elation. Yeah.
3: Exactly. And it both both because of the expectation and the connection with the original trilogy, but also because it's just the kind of story it's telling, right? It's a heroic classic, you know, hero's journey type thing. Whereas this is it's a war movie and it's it's going to be a bit more dire a bit more somber in some places not to say it was devoid of comedy or anything like that but like you know i i watched it and not to jump ahead to the ending but i i was thinking you know i'd showed the trailers to my cousins daughters who are 12 and 10 and the 12 year old was super excited about it and having watched this movie now i'm like Man, I don't know. This seems pretty heavy for a twelve year old. <laughs> no, she'll be fine. <laughs> oh,
1: okay. On the Disney online store in the UK, there's a, a Jin Erso costume for kids, oh, suitable man. for four uh four to thirteen year olds. Wow. And there was a comment written underneath it and it said our nine-year-old is absolutely thrilled to be going to see Rogue One dressed as Jin. And I thought, "Oh, good luck with that.
0: <laughs> Will she be quite so thrilled on the way out? That, that's going to be a very
1: difficult conversation on the way home.
0: I don't know, though, because, like, I i mean, you know, nine years old, okay, that's kind of pushing it. But, you know, young boys get tragic heroes that, you know, Mm -hmm. sort of die Mm -hmm. heroically all the time in movies. You know, maybe, okay, maybe not so much in Disney movies, admittedly, but you know, that is a thing in fiction is the heroic sacrifice. And boys get that, even young boys get that in their fiction all the time. So I think it's kind of cool.
2: Girls get Charlotte's Web where Charlotte dies at the end.
0: Yes. Yes.
2: (laughs) Which isn't quite the same thing.
0: Yeah. So I think it's kind of cool that we now have this female hero doing the same thing, the heroic sacrifice.
3: I, I was not so much objecting to that is the fact that like you know everybody dies, <laughs> like everybody <laughs> here's supposed to care about during actually, the entire course of the movie. One of the things
2: actually I really loved about the movie was, was I when I realized that every oh dear god everyone's going to die. Um, then it didn't it it could they could have really wallowed in it. It could have really brought it down and made you miserable and really made it annoyingly gritty and dark and awful but they didn't it was done mm. with it was bizarre that they wiped out their whole main cast yet it was done with such a light touch and the beautiful uh epilogue of the movie bit at the end that you suddenly you left feeling like okay but everything's totally gonna be all right i mean you you obviously you know it is as well but it's i, I, I thought that was a really a really great thing they did there that it is very dark material but it, they didn't allow that to overshadow the humor or the the hope that was sort of the core going through the movie as well.
0: Yeah. Well, and it, and again, it, it is a prequel and not in the sense of it was set 30 years before the other movie, but this movie was set literally, you know what, less than a week before, you know, a new hope. Oh, it's
3: probably about five minutes before. Yeah. And the then thing, about you know? five, <laughs> minutes. It five
0: minutes before. Yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, and that is tricky. I have written prequels like that myself, prequels that take place almost immediately before something else, and they are really tricky because there is that inevitability of certain elements Um mm-hmm. and needing to make a story that sort of has its own peril, even though, you know, readers, viewers, whatever, know really how it's going to end. They know the ultimate outcome. That is tricky. Uh And I think they did largely pull it off here, um, as I say, especially watching it a second time, I, I felt a lot better about it and thought, yeah, actually, they, they really did pull it all together quite well. I think they were a bit self-indulgent, a bit overindulgent yep. on some of the fan service, though. <laughs>
1: yep. No, no, no,
2: no, 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 no. More fan service. Lady so uh, no, no, <laughs> That was
1: the first time I saw it, because I've seen it twice as well, and the first time I came out, uh, my feeling was, I really enjoyed that movie, but the fan service got too much because it took me out of the film. Yep.
0: Mm.
1: Don't get me wrong, I like fan service. Not enough. <laughs> because we had all the cameos of, like, you know, the ships and and all the sort of the, the feeling of Star Wars, I didn't really need for them to be trying to remind me every five minutes that this was a Star Wars film.
3: You know, and I had this thought just earlier today as I was sort of mentally going back over it. Um, the things that really got, like, I found... A little jarring was the literal splicing of footage from episode four into this movie with the X-Wing and Y-Wing pilots. Yeah, And yeah. and that was the moment where I thought, like, you know, okay, it bugged me at the time. Not bugged me, but like at the time I noted it, right? And I stepped out because I'm like, I watched those movies so many times. I know every shot from those movies.
0: <laughs> you know, every mustache.
3: <laughs> but that wasn't a shot from the movie. Several of them seemed to be lifted directly. They were unused,
0: Shots,
1: they said believe. that they found, uh, like, original unused footage uh, okay. when when they were in pre-production, and they so they they weren't shots that they were taken from
3: from. Okay, uh, but they they are they are very close because obviously the camera's positioned the same, yeah, and it, yeah. everything looks a well, little, and it's little the bit same actors, different. Yeah. Right, it's the same actors, um, and so I guess my my feeling at the time was I, I understand. Um, from why I reacted that way, but I also understand kind of why you did it, right? Because you have you're establishing a sort of continuity. Not to say you know those characters well enough that you care about them. You know, when you then, if you then watch, let's say, if you watch Rogue One and then you immediately watch Watch a New Hope, say having never seen either of them, um, I can see you be like, oh, it's the guy from Rogue One, like you know, this the same fighter pilots, right? Like, so there is a certain sort of continuity in there. Um, so I get. Although that you might be asking, as where well. did
0: all the women pilots go?
3: Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> they all died. The, yeah. pilot.
0: the pilot stuff didn't actually bother me all that, uh, really. What b- what got me with the fan service was uh the like ugly guy from the Cantina. That
3: I, can't, was a I, I don't know the character's
0: name, but bumping I think it's, into him in the market. I mean, yeah. I mean, come on, you know, that was just that really was absurd.
3: The C
1: three PO and R two D two stuck out, I think yeah, as that well. was kinda it that was, was gonna cute. happen. It was, it was gonna cute, happen. But <laughs> Um. Yeah. No. I think those two bothered me the most. I
3: liked the uh, subtle uh, rebels cameos or mentions, <sighs> and yes. so that they put yes. them. And I will note that it was interesting. I caught a lot more because the when I went to see it in India. The movie wasn't in English. It wasn't dubbed or anything, but they also had, which is not uncommon in movies in India. It was also subtitled in English. Um, and so I got, I basically read this movie. <laughs> so, oh, which wow. is a little, also a little distracting at times because I can't not read the subtitles when they're on the screen, but you catch a lot of the background lines because everything is subtitled. Um, and so I caught way more than I probably would have had I just watched it the first time through, but it was also distracting because I think I spent way more time reading the subtitles than paying attention to what was happening on the screen at times.
2: You know, I did get a thrill there was a call out for general Cindula for, Harrison yes, and yes, yes, for the yes, Rebels, yeah. and i was like yes the best character
1: chopper appears at one moment and makes little chopper oh. noises someone
3: said that and i have to now i have to look for it who, that who is this to? chopper character
2: chopper I've- is the droid in rebels um,
3: he, he's a another feisty <laughs> little uh, feisty
2: he's a murderous little homicidal yeah. git basically <laughs>
0: See, this is another, this is one other slight issue I had with it was I did feel like I was, there was a lot of stuff in this movie where it was like, are they just not saying anything here because they think I've watched Clone Wars and Rebels? (laughs) Um, There seems to be a lot of stuff that was hinted at that felt like, oh, I should watch or read something else in order to fully get Mm -hmm. that reference or understand it. And that did bother me a little because I'm like, you can't do that. Really, you know, you've got to know that the vast majority of people watching this movie will only ever have seen the movies and are not going to watch, especially an animated TV series.
2: <gasps> what are you implying <laughs> about Rebels? It's it's probably the greatest uncanonical Star Wars thing there is. Uh,
0: I'm sure it is. I write comic books, but there is, a you know, there is a certain proportion of people who are never going to watch an animated series
2: that didn't happen for me but if that is happening then it should work like that because it's, it's one of the things they do it in doctor who all the time where they make a reference that fans will spot it and then go haha very amusing but if you're not a fan you just don't notice it it's just part right. of the background it doesn't matter which i suppose would be my litmus test for this as well for me it was fine i didn't really notice anything but i guess especially i, I suppose with Saul Guerrero would be the big one that you kind of He doesn't, he feels like half a character, maybe here. He really
0: felt incomplete
1: in this movie. Yeah. Yeah. I'd never seen the, the 3D Clone Wars series, but I have seen Rebels. So I didn't know who he was, but apparently he's now going to be going back into
3: Rebels again. So, uh, voiced by Forrest Whitaker. So, so I mean, it's interesting to me because I think it's the, it's kind of the inverse. Um, as with the other, some of the other fan servers, it's kind of the inverse in the sense that we got, um, you know, when we watched the first movies, you know, there were all these throwaway lines of things that obviously didn't exist, right? Like like Obi-Wan talking about the Clone Wars. And then eventually mm-hmm. we got the story of the Clone Wars. This is the backwards way where we already had something that happened that ties into it. And then it gets thrown off as a mention in in a like sort of, you know, in a live action movie. And so those properties have already been developed, which is kind of the opposite of like, oh, now we have all this stuff that we can pull out of the movies and make stuff about. Uh, and it was kind of similar too with the, The splicing, you know, the using the old footage and splicing in stuff from the original movies and the CGI people who we'll get to, where it's stuff like rather than having, um, you know, when they've gone back with the special editions and George has inserted stuff that brings continuity with the prequels, and we all feel Mm. the way we feel about that, (laughs) this is kind of the opposite of that, too, right? The inverse version where it's like we're going to insert stuff from the original movies (laughs) into the old movie to make it scan again as a nice continuity thing.
0: That was one thing that i found odd watching it a second time uh some people have complained about the location um you know subtitles uh as you sort of superimpose titles of you know where they are mm-hmm. and what have you which obviously you don't get in a regular star wars movie i don't have a problem with that i mean i even saw some people complaining about it because of the typeface which is just
3: ridiculous <laughs> they left one out notably which was right weird. and yeah.
0: then right the one location that's from the prequels yeah. Which is, how do you say, Mustafar? Mustafar.
3: Yeah. Mustafar, they yeah. didn't type I exclaimed it. And my girlfriend gave me a look when I did it. <laughs> I was like, it's Mustafar. And she's like,
2: oh. <laughs> uh, yeah. I didn't even realize it was Mustafar until I went online afterwards and was reading up on stuff about it. And it was safe to go out in spoiler territory before that just didn't click. I think that makes it slightly worse. Even though even though I did get a little this is bad, I felt a little thrilled when I saw Bale Organa and I was like, Oh, it's reminder of the mm-hmm, prequels mm-hmm. and yet
3: They finally gave Jimmy Smith a good Star Wars movie yeah! to be in there. I was yeah. so happy about that because he was so squandered in the oh, prequels. Yes.
2: I loved him this. If there's there's many tiny small things in the movie that I absolutely adore, but one of my one of the big tiny things that was marvelous was the looks between him and Mon Mothma during the meetings. I was just mm-hmm. I was making flailing and annoying people uh, in my seat well so it's like look at them look at them (laughs)
3: acting and a movie that brought continuity (gasps) with the prequels without like having to us to really remember too much about
0: the prequels (laughs) is pretty welcome if you had no idea (laughs) that that was
3: bail organa
0: you know, if you if you'd never seen the prequels, that's a good an example of doing it well, where yeah. those scenes yeah. would still because of, as Liz says, the acting, you'd still get, oh, OK, these mm. people clearly know one another. Well, they're obviously old friends. They're like they're up to something. And he's clearly an important guy because he walks in when they mention the Senate. Um, You know, all of that is that's really well done. So you wouldn't necessarily yeah. need to have seen the sequels to understand why his character was there and what he was doing.
2: Yeah, and we would never seen Senator Pamela before, but in a couple of lines, she manages to establish herself as like a presence. You would know who she is and remember her. I mean, also it helps with the costume with the gold cloak thingy on it and yeah, the, yeah. the very super British accent. <laughs> but that 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 was a, a, a nice example of, of something that, that she could easily have been a character from another part of the franchise and it would have fitted in there. But as far as I know, she isn't. And that was there and it worked.
0: Yeah, it did. Okay, so let's talk about characters then. Uh, And that's, you know, that's as good a segue as any to uh, talk about the fact that this is the second, okay, it's not a saga movie, but it is now the second Star Wars movie with a woman in the lead role. Liz, we turned to you first uh, last time to talk about Rey. So what did you think of Jyn Erso?
2: I Love her and I don't understand why she's dead, why she has not having a series that <laughs> that's ridiculous. It's deeply, deeply unfair and deeply, deeply upsetting. Um, no, I think the character was written marvelously. I love Felicity Jones's performance. Um, I, I love how she's quite maybe underplayed a little bit in that and that she's mm. really keeps her emotions very tight. And it's just, I don't know, because it's something that I, I identify with that because I often find it difficult to express myself. Um, and it's just. Oh, it's so nice that you've got that Rey isn't being held up as sort of the lead Star Wars female hero. This is our hero. There's there's another woman now. I mean, OK, yes, there's Leia. But in in the current franchise, you've got it's not just the woman. There are women. Um, and I think watching it, one of the things I thought after, after coming out of the theatre was that uh, the roles of Jin Erzo and Cassian Andor, maybe 30 years ago, those would have been swapped around. Yes. And we'd have got, and Cassian might have been toned back. Maybe she wouldn't have, like, killed that guy and been quite so dark. Uh, but still, we'd have got Cassia, the feisty love interest sidekick there, who's totally everything the hero is, but not actually the primary hero. So it was, you know, it was nice seeing something that just, more often the other way around, seeing it that way around. Uh, the disappointing aspect of it for me was that this movie certainly felt like a great deal more than The Force Awakens, which I thought did, a f- did in the current climate of television and film media uh, a reasonable job. This did not do so good a job with women in the other roles. There mm. were mm. numerous bit parts in this movie and almost all of them were male. It was particularly egregious in terms of the empire. The entire empire is men, apparently. I mean, I know there was a clone war going on, but it still, it was, it was just, it got very, very silly. The parts that annoyed me most were when, um, um, Mads Mickelsons, I forget the character's name his engineers came out and mm-hmm. the, the dudes, and they're all men
0: as well yeah, yeah. and
2: but it, it was even lampposted they're all men because Orson Krennic's like gentlemen, and it's and I'm looking at going oh for goodness sake seriously there's like five of them lined up there and you couldn't even bother to get a token woman on stage what what who's doing right, the cast here not even here? to be
0: cannon fodder
2: yeah mm-hmm. and um, and then there were the background shots I was paying a lot of attention during the road base where we did the one scene that was fi- that Get hits the bare minimum as far as I'm concerned was one of the conference scenes that had Mon Mothma, Jin and uh, the Senator uh, Senator Pamelo talking. So the three women in that scene who had speaking lines, which I think was more or less equivalent to a number of men who were speaking in that scene. And they're also woman that you could see in the background though it was nowhere near gender equality uh the really bad one again was when cassian came to jen and said we're with you and it was like every person standing hmm. behind him yeah, was a yep. mad and i was like yep. you cannot be serious you cannot be serious then i going into the movie i already knew that the rest of the main cast were all men which is annoying um you know, at least, you know, Alien managed to get two women on board that ship. Can you not get a little bit there? No, no. And then I got really, I might have spent the first two minutes of the dogfight getting increasingly annoyed because there weren't any women. And then finally there was a woman pilot and then another. And I think there was a third one as well. And so I'm sort of like, okay, fine then, I guess. its ugh. But it was, it was, it's my main complaint about the movie. This is, this is sort of my big thing that means I'm really annoyed, but I'm more annoyed because it's a really good movie. And because it would have been so easy not to do this. There is absolutely no reason why half of those parts, those tiny bit parts, couldn't have gone to women. No reason whatsoever. It would have changed nothing in the movie other than you've got a more realistic, better representation of people on your screen. And it's just, it's annoying because it's such a simple thing and yet it's so damaging. So yeah, so that's what I thought.
0: Uh, I completely agree. For what that's worth, um, yep. yeah, there were there was uh, at least a woman piloting a uh, U-wing and another one piloting a Y-wing bomber. I'm not sure about any others but there were definitely those two
3: hmm. uh i thought however, there was a third as well but i'm not 100 sure
0: yeah i don't think there were any f- women flying x-wings which was a bit yeah that was you know, that
3: was literally a complaint my girlfriend made when we came out because she was right with you liz and i agree too the uh the background representation of women here is is pretty awful for it it bothered me that the main characters like they did great job yeah, with representation yeah. of people of color like, yes. that was fantastic. Yep. I'm so pleased about that. But the again, like Liz said, it, it wouldn't have been that hard, guys. Like, you know, find find some more women at least for the supporting roles.
2: And it's, it's just that extra bit frustrating because I feel like it wasn't as though it was amazing in The Force Awakens, but it did hit my sort of minimum bar. And not mm-hmm. actively annoying me kind of thing. It's like, really, you went backwards? Why?
1: Well, maybe in like ten or twenty years when they do a re-release, they can just go back in and digitally insert women <laughs> into various roles.
0: It was a bit weird though that, yeah, because as you say, there was so many there were so many crowd scenes. Even in uh Jeddah City, you know, there mm-hmm. weren't that many women in the market, crowd mm-hmm. scenes. And it's like, really, really, you you know, how difficult would it have been to just Put some women in the background there. Yep. Um it's very odd. However, you know, that aside, I agree that I thought Felicity Jones's performance was great. I mean, she was clearly one of the you know stand-up performers of the movie. And thank goodness, because obviously she had to carry the whole thing. But she does it so well. She has, you know, I think there are, what, three really big emotional scenes for her. And she pulls every single one of them off with aplomb and with, you know... Everything's there. But as you said, she doesn't overdo it. She kind of underplays it a little bit. Uh, And she's got that edge. There's something about her attitude in this movie that she is even even when she after her father dies and she's like, right, okay, I'm I'm 100 percent in the rebellion now. She still gives it a bit of needle there's still a little bit of, like, defiance in there. And I I loved that about her performance and about her character.
3: I totally agree, and I think, you know... Um what's nice as, as again to what Liz said about um not just holding up Ray as the only example, the fact that we're getting women characters and they're not all the same character, right? Yeah. You know, we've had Ray and Jin. Yeah.
2: I've got my mage and I've got my rogue now exactly. my warrior, please. Ray,
3: Jin, Leia, you know, we all have, you know, they're 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 distinct characters. They're very clearly different. Um, and they each have their own sort of journey. And, and I think that's that's great um, because no, nobody likes to watch the same characters over and over again in any case. Um, but the fact that we now have sort of a, a more diverse uh, list of, of female protagonists to point to is just fantastic.
2: And she gets such a magnificent hero arc as well. I think of all mm. of the Star Wars ones, nobody has a more consistent and in many ways the most epic human hero arc because she doesn't have the magic powers to draw on she's just got her and she has these you know the, the the awful things that happen to her the equivalent of what's happened okay maybe not her whole planet blowing but you know you know what i mean it's not good it's not good <laughs> but it goes and but it goes in the beautiful arc thing and it culminates and you get the the ending and then it's done and it's like you get the complete hero story and that doesn't happen a lot for you know I mean there's obviously there's there's less fe- female her- her- heroes than there are male ones on, on the big screen anyway but just to get such a complete and quality arc presented in a movie of the hero and it's just it's rather wonderful I really yeah. I really appreciate that
1: I mean Felicity Jones I I really enjoyed her uh, world mm. famous of course as Emma Grundy from BBC Radio 4's The Archers <laughs>
0: <laughs> but, <laughs> well done well done <laughs> Deep Deep cuts. Cuts. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
1: but uh there was a there was a story that um tatiana maslany from orphan black had been up for the role but she had to drop out because of some scheduling reasons and i do wonder what it would have been like with her in the role i mean um i think felicity jones uh did it really well um and it i think it's you know n- I think a lot of the well I think all of the characters pretty much were were very good. I, I don't think anyone was a sort of too uh shallowly written. Um but yeah, I mean uh we can go through them, I guess.
0: Yeah, well, I, I, and and we will do. I I will say I I disagree a little bit with that assessment. The one thing I wanted to say about um Jin ErsO, the character was i realized about halfway through my second viewing that because there, there were a lot of people looked obviously at the sort of look of the characters and yes the sort of gender split and what have you and a lot of people were saying oh well you know cassian is the sort of much how people said poe dameron was clearly the sort of han solo substitute in that movie people were saying that cassian was going to be the han solo substitute in this movie but he's not well he no. is She is the Han Solo of this movie, as Liz said. He, she doesn't have the magic. She is the skeptical, like defiant initially, kind of like I don't care about your rebellion. I'm doing this one thing, and then I'm done, and I get my reward, and I'm out. She is the Han Solo, and she, you know, as a character, carries it very well. But yeah, I think that's another thing that Felicity Jones carries really well is that that same feeling we got from Han Solo of a rogue haha um of being that uh you know completely but in it for herself but actually not really you know and the rogue with a heart of gold she played that so well
1: but i mean cassian basically murders somebody within the first five minutes of the film so it kind of sets up him (laughs) as being you know if it's basically just adjusting the baseline if she's the hero and she's han solo then the han solos need to be um Darker. Yeah,
2: there's not, there's not even yeah. a debate about who shot first here. because yeah, right. It's like, he did, the other good guy didn't even try and shoot. He wasn't
0: it's, even armed.
3: Do we, can we say a word or two about Cassian? I was going
0: to move on to Cassian next. Yeah. So what are our thoughts on him? You know, our first sort of, like, proper Latino, uh, lead in a Star Wars movie.
3: I really like Diego Luna. I think he he does a great job with what he's given here. Um, and I enjoyed his performance. I enjoyed the chemistry between him and Felicity Jones. I think they did really well in that. My biggest complaint about this character is that I feel like his arc is kind of muddy. Um, because he starts out as a, you know, he's this, this basically you know, intelligence officer slash assassin. He's not even really an assassin. He's just like a guy he's, he's there, he's getting stuff done, but he's not really, even though he's committed to the rebellion, he doesn't seem like an idealist. He seems like the dirty works guy that you write, you call to do the dirty jobs and he's signed up and he's committed to that as far as that goes, but he's not really like, he he doesn't, he's not an idealist. He doesn't have a lot of hope. Um And I, I find that, I, I guess, you know, it makes sense for his arc to sort of go further um and, and sort of redeem his character in that way. And it, May in certain ways, but I, I didn't fully buy in um, to his conversion. I didn't fully buy in to the idea of like there are some people talking about like you know sort of an ends justifies the mean approach with him and i didn't really feel like there was a reason for him to come to this epiphany like oh man maybe i shouldn't be killing people <laughs> like they they try to pin that all in the scene where he's deciding whether or not to kill galen and i felt that it was a bit weak it, it just needed to be tightened up for me um i think there was too much extraneous and like i said i feel like it just got kind of fuzzy like if you're gonna do that as his arc it needed to be a little more beat 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 rather than just sort of of like beat. Yeah. beat. <laughs> so I, I I liked a lot about it, but it like I, I felt that it needed some some either some editing or slight tweaking in it.
2: I reluctantly agree with that. It did feel it just wasn't didn't have a nice clean edge to it. And you could sort of you, you, you could see what they're trying to go for, but it just it didn't it didn't grab me. There was
0: no good reason given for him not pulling that trigger. Yep. That's, yep. That's yeah. That's the thing that struck me. It was like there is no you know, you don't see any kind of change in his attitude.
2: I can kind of see what they're going for in that we're presented with this really hard-bitten intelligence officer ground down by the awful things he had to do. And here comes Jin, who somehow pulls him a little bit back towards the light and he starts to have ideas. But it didn't really hit hard like that.
1: I thought it was partially that he was watching what was going on on that platform and he saw the the... You know, they're shooting at all the the scientists and Galen basically uh, inserting himself between the, him and the scientists and all that. And I think he, in my head canon anyway, he looked at that scene and thought, hmm, maybe this isn't a bad guy after all. Why do I have these orders to shoot him?
2: Maybe so. Headcanon is the best thing.
3: My, my girlfriend had a similar feeling of it when we were discussing this afterwards. And I kind of see that, but also the setup of the scene is a bit contrived and they're like, Oh, I can't get a shot. Oh, I guess I have to wait. And when he does get a shot, he's like, Oh, there's other things. I'm going to watch what's going on here. You know, like again, I think it was, it felt like a a scene you could feel the writer strings pulling there yeah why do they have their meetings outside that's yeah, really what exactly. i an <laughs> and have they never heard of umbrellas or force fields <laughs> or roofs the conference room was booked out so they needed to go <laughs> out. small party in the conference room
2: orson krennic is a man who appreciates a dramatic backdrop to his meetings
0: <laughs> yeah especially when he's going to shoot everyone and yeah. standing in the pouring rain, yeah, that was that yeah. was just weird. <laughs>
2: I also have to say, on a shallow note, that I'm really glad that there's uh, a male hero in Star Wars that I find incredibly attractive now because I <laughs> ha- Han Solo was a bit before my time, and I just I didn't get the Podammeron thing. And Finn was okay, but Dagaluna was like, okay, this is nice, this is great. Let's watch, <laughs> let's watch his 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 back catalogue now. That'll be fun.
3: Well, is that a euphemism or? <laughs>
0: <laughs> it's Okay, for what it's worth, uh, I felt the same way about uh, Felicity Jones. I never particularly found Carrie Fisher or um, uh, what's-her-face, you know, Ray from Force Awakens. They're very pretty, but, you know, they don't sort of push my buttons, but Felicity Jones, oh yes.
3: (laughs) (laughs) Um, I was going to say about Cassian, what I do like about his character is that I enjoy his somewhat slovenly, my favorite bit with him in the entire film is where he dresses up as the Imperial officer, and he's still got like his, his hair is like sticking out the back He's the
0: least convincing Imperial officer ever.
2: I was waiting for someone to challenge him and say that's not a regulation haircut. <laughs> but I love
3: that he doesn't care, right? Like he's just sort of like, whatever I'm just wearing this hat. And so I, I do appreciate his character I you know, uh, and I like the moments where he is good. He is very good Yes, and, and honestly I, I, I put none of this at his feet as an. D Diego Luna's feet as an actor I think he is fantastic Uh, I just feel like the the writing of some of that of that character's arc I wanted a little more like Liz said like a little sharper edge and like a little more definition on saying like okay he's this guy he's this kind of guy but now he's you know changing his opinion now he's this kind of guy like I feel like that's fine you can have a redemption arc but it just needs to be cleaner
2: one bit that I did think was an amazing note was one of, near the very end where he pulls Jin away from Orson Krennic's mm-hmm. body so that she doesn't have the chance to finish him off, and that the fact that he's the one who's doing that to her and pulling her away so that just yeah. she doesn't like commit murderers or final act was like that. I found that pretty moving. That was a good bit.
0: Well, and when they're having their argument um, after you know in in the ship, and he. And she's doing the kind of woe is me bit. And I mean, that scene, there are, there are elements to it that I found, found a bit, you know, word of the day problematic, uh, in that he's kind of gaslighting her at first when he's, she's like, this is after she realizes that he was about to assassinate her father. And she's like, you went there to kill him, didn't you? And he's like, oh, you're in shock. You don't know what you're talking about. That's, that was a bit like, really, guys? Um, but later in that scene, when he's, basically saying to her, look, you're not the only one who lost everything. You know, you are not that special. We have all been in this a long time uh, doing this and we've all lost people that we loved and cared about. That, he did that so well because it would have been so easy to overdo that, to Mm. really kind of go huge and chew the scenery and, yeah, just sort of lose the thread of it. But I thought he handled that absolutely brilliantly. I was utterly convinced by it. He was great.
2: I also think that was a great line. that He just managed to get his whole backstory across in a single line of dialogue and just left it. that. Mm. that And it wasn't an
0: expository line either. It wasn't him saying, I've lost everything as well. It was him saying, you're not the only one who's lost everything. Brilliant.
1: Yeah, and he said that I've been doing this since I was six, which is fairly (laughs) young for a rebel.
0: Which is also about the age that Diego Luna started acting in Mexico, I believe. (laughs) Okay, talking about writing... And Dan's right, I think, I agree with Dan, I should say, that uh, the, the problems with Cassian, you know, shouldn't be laid at Diego Luna's feet. And that's kind of where I wanted to pick up on what you said, James, about none of the characters were that shallow. And I think you're right, but I don't think that is, in some instances, because the writers, like, as he's written... Baze Malbus, for example, is an incredibly shallow character. There's nothing to him, but Jang yeah. Wen plays him so well
3: mm. that
0: uh, you know, and brings so much to the character that it kind of transcends the words and the script. And that's what you want in a good actor.
3: And a good secondary character too, right? Like you don't need to... He didn't need to have... We didn't need to have his whole backstory. Right, here. right. And and we just need some hints of it. And I think the really important thing is his relationship with Cheerit, right? And like, you know, seeing the oh, yeah. two of them interact. <laughs> oh, I, I ship think, that. <laughs> yeah, I was... Oh, that was... You stole the line right out of my mouth, Anthony.
2: No, I was really wondering during the movie... Hang on a second. Did I get this? I just thought there were like... um monks or something but are they actually a couple during the movie i was like i, I don't i didn't I, yeah so yay if it was
1: i've already seen the um the uh images that people have drawn to suggest that they are
0: <laughs> yeah i mean it's one of those things that's not explicitly stated but it's, it's not denied
3: by anything it's not contradicted by anything right in the yeah, yeah i did like i, I thought that the, the interactions
1: between the two of them i would easily go for a, a tv series oh yeah,
2: yeah if you want to do a prequel movie for them that'd be that'd be cool
0: well and Donnie Yen as well Donnie Yen the oh, way Donnie God. Yen Fantastic. played Chirrut was great he was so I love the fact that he was smiling all the time because he's a holy man so he's like well everything's going to be fine because I'm one with the force and the force is with me uh so I, I thought that was an interesting way to play it but also he was just so sarcastic so funny i love the bit when they're putting their bags over their heads and he's are you kidding me i'm blind (laughs)
1: Blind, i I like the the sort of element the sort of zatoichi aspect of him you know the sort of the blind but still the best uh
3: swordsman or or stick man Um, absolutely
0: yeah and underestimated by the stormtroopers of course yeah
3: yeah and that's yeah the first scene where we get his the taste of his abilities is just it's just great choreography it's just a joy to watch um you know and donnie yen of course is a a master martial artist and uh long-running uh star and stunt guy and everything and he's just He's fantastic. He's so good here. I think he is he is my breakout character from this movie.
2: Donnie Yen's co- uh, comic timing was just amazing. That was really. He could he could easily carry a comedy movie if he wants to stop or combine martial arts and comedy. They work together. <laughs> he then, probably yeah. has
1: done several of them. Mm-hmm. If he, we just need to go back and look at all his uh, extensive filmography. Yes.
0: Yeah. <laughs> And the, okay, so, and those three characters, those three supporting characters, but main supporting characters that we've just discussed, uh, interestingly, again, for Star Wars, not one of them had a native English accent, either American or British. Yep. Um, and and any, although, and Ben Mendelssohn is Australian apparently, but was doing a a dodgy English accent. He's been in neighbours, as every Australian has. I don't know why he didn't just use his natural accent because his English accent is not all that great but you know.
3: No, the it's the it's the empire. The empire has to be your sort of over-hammy British accent. That was a me.
2: convincing English accent to me. That's what England sounds like.
3: Yeah,
1: it didn't it didn't actually sound bad to me either so maybe Scottish oh, okay. people just don't uh, get it.
0: <laughs> I okay, can't
3: <laughs> Oh, that was <laughs> Oh, <laughs> my my biggest complaint about Ben Mendelsohn, um, or or the the character of Krennic here is that if anything, I really enjoyed him. He's just hammy enough to eat, like choose some scenery and be your haughty Imperial bad guy. I think the <laughs> biggest problem I have with him is that they put him, and, and this is going to be, you know, something I'm sure we're going to talk about. They put him up against Tarkin and it's like, do we really need two, you know, white guys with British accents arguing, <laughs> old white Chewing guys scenery, with British accents. Yeah. yeah arguing yeah. about things. You could have just done one of them.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Well, and that's another one thing that we'll get to after we've discussed the characters. Yeah. So, um, well, and then there was Riz Ahmed's character, um, Bodhi Rook, the defecting uh, Imperial pilot, who is barely in the trailers. Like uh, you know, I mm-hmm. actually seeing the trailers, I thought, oh, he is, he, is he? Is he hardly going to be in yeah. it? Is he going to be some background character? And he's like, he's a you know a pivotal character.
2: Yeah, and he, I think of all the the supporting characters, he got the as a word I keep using in this podcast the cleanest character Mm -hmm. arc Mm -hmm. going through there that was a really satisfying way through and then oh the feeling of the lurching in the chest of oh my god you're dead (laughs) we <laughs> really killed you and then realizing oh dear god they're going to kill them all
3: right he's the he's the coward right And so he gets his redemption arc mm, in his yeah. moment of bravery
2: yeah
0: i think the moment that uh that Jin said to him or was it cassian one of them said says to him uh keep the engines running you're the, our only way out of here the <laughs> moment they said that I was like yeah he's dead <laughs>
1: yeah now i mean i went into the film thinking that they would probably kill everyone and i think it was only at the point where k2so uh, bought it, and when he became a leaf on the wind.
3: Oh, poor Alan oh, Tudyk. Reference acknowledged. <laughs> uh,
1: that that was the point where I thought, "All right, they 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 killed the robot. They're
3: gonna kill everyone." That was my. Yeah. That was the saddest death for me. That was the only one I really teared up at. It, it, me too. <laughs> me monster? too. It got a big reaction
0: in the cinema where I was as well. I was like, "He's a droid, but he's lovable <laughs> in, a, in a really mean way."
3: He was like the best supporting character, I think.
0: He did get all of the funniest lines. It must yes. be said.
3: Yeah, and and Ali yeah. Tudik is fantastic and gets you know that is that is his sweet spot right there.
0: It, and his accent actually was really good. Um, you know his I, I found his accent more convincing than Ben Mendelsohn's, <laughs> 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 which I didn't expect uh, going in certainly. Uh, but yeah, yeah, K two was you know another in a long line, obviously of sort of great. Star Wars droid characters but I don't think we've really had a character quite like him with that sort of attitude
1: no. well I mean he's a he's a bit HK-47 from the Knights of the Old Republic
0: game yeah. but slightly less murdery
2: HK-47 <laughs> and Marvin the paranoid android had a child yeah might be I think
0: you said that when we were discussing the trailers as well because <laughs> HK-47 is one of your favorite characters isn't it,
2: yes he's very very good and shiny but as as Jim said, much more murderous. This this one just doesn't have that homicidal streak and the desire to ch- chop up meat bags.
3: He's gonna chopperish if Chopper could talk. I think
1: I like yeah. the, the the thing that summed up his entire character is when he drops the bag, and that was the moment <laughs> yeah. that I just thought it's like, <laughs> yeah, I don't care.
0: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Oh uh, yeah, but some of his great lines. His very first line: "Congratulations, you're being rescued. Please yeah. do not resist." <laughs> I would played that
1: VR thing, the game, because K Two So is a character in that. I'd heard sort of about twenty minutes of Alan Tudyk doing lines like that. Oh, already. does he do
0: the video game lines <laughs> as well?
1: Well, either he does it or somebody who sounds like him does it, right? right. Uh, but it was quite quite similar, kind of very droll, you know. Uh, please rescue me,
3: like you promised. Type lines. I like the bit where she uh she shoots the other droid that looks like him. <laughs> yeah. Did you know that wasn't me when you shot it? Yeah, and she's yes. like, of course, yeah, yeah." Because he's got like little lines
1: around his arm bits that were a different color. I thought and that's yeah. how you recognize. I love
0: him. it when she's when he says, "Where'd you get the gun?" She's like, "Found it." Yep. And K two says, "I find that answer vague and unconvincing."
3: Yeah. <laughs> I'm here for you, Jin, because Cassian said I have to be. <laughs> <Yeah>.
0: <laughs> so many good lines, man. Yeah. Um, going back to uh, just going back to Bodhi Rook and Riz Ahmed's character. Uh, the one thing that, like, I found really weird about you know, part, and I'm mentioning it because it's part of his character arc was that uh, sort of mind flayer. Yeah,
1: Yeah, that, I mean, he was like, they implied that the thing was going to completely destroy your mind, and he seemed very out of it for a little while
0: for about five yeah, seconds until yeah. somebody effectively snaps their fingers in front of him and then he's fine again
3: and so I wasn't weird. sure if,
1: if he was like a different character before that point and he would he was now sort of pacified or something or it
3: doesn't seem like it given the scenes we see with him before that like it doesn't seem distinct enough but I, I think that creature that's like the Rathtar scene from this movie like that's the that's the scene with the like okay we really just need to get like a crazy CGI alien in here to just do something funky Um and and work as sort of a plot device um, but it doesn't it's not a plot device because it doesn't do anything i, so, I think right. the,
1: pur- the purpose of it was to show that saw is a little bit more dangerous than everybody else and he'll yeah. use mind flaying octopuses on
0: you and in, and in that respect it worked but then you know he they really hang a lantern when he's making his speech about how this creature, and I can't even remember what it was called because it was such a ridiculous name, but he says this creature will, you know, be able to tell if you're lying. Um, nobody can deceive the creature. Uh, the only problem is one tends to lose one's mind. Like they really hang a lantern on it. Yep. And then there's no effect. It has yep. no <laughs> consequences. Maybe
1: because he didn't lie. He didn't get his mind flayed, and it only f- flays
0: <laughs> if you're actively
1: lying.
3: That's yeah, uh, that's a little, it's a little sloppy, um, and I kind of agree that they seem to be going somewhere, you know, with it maybe distinguishing Saw's tactics from the the rebellion as a whole. But it, I, if I can say, well, I mean, well, maybe we'll get to Saw in a second. But that's, I think, that's another problematic arc.
0: Yeah, I mean, I I thought that it. I mean, I don't know Saw from Rebels or. Um, Clone Wars or wherever he's from. I thought that it did work in that respect, yeah, in sort of showing, okay, this guy's an extremist and he's prepared to use extreme methods that normally would be beyond the pale. I I think it worked in that sense, absolutely.
3: I, I did, it didn't buy on, onto that entirely. I wanted a little more... Uh, I felt like, again, they, they didn't necessarily clearly draw that line, especially because we're introduced to so much of him before we get the, the portrayal of him from the rebellion as a whole right like we've seen him several times until we get the rebellion saying oh he's an extremist like and it's and it's never clear to me because of especially what we've seen of the rebellion in the original movies like they're still blowing stuff up like it's not like is this just the right line they're is- not
0: exactly pacifists <laughs> exactly so it's
3: to me that was an a place where they they didn't fully commit to that that arc or idea of like there are some rebels who are taking things further and believe you know the ends justify the means or what have you I I feel like that could have been done better and and saw as a character maybe they lean a little too heavily on on knowing who he was and and even having seen the Clone War episodes with him um, a while back he's not I mean he's in maybe three or four episodes it's not like he's a major character Uh, okay clearly has like a, a, a little bit of an arc within that um, and, and it seems like they're intending to do more with him. Um, But it, it's it's interesting that they decided to go in this direction, I feel like, because so much of it wasn't. I mean, they didn't really explain like why he's got the whole like breathing apparatus thing. Like, you know, what's he's replaced his, his legs, you know, like it, clearly he's been through some stuff. But like, I don't know, it's, he feels like a character of mystery and that doesn't really pay off. I, didn't, I expected he wouldn't die. You know, like I, I thought he was going to come back for more because it seemed like we hadn't really touched on a lot of stuff with him.
0: He was the primary character in this that I really felt Oh, okay. Am I missing stuff here because I haven't watched the TV series? But it sounds like maybe not. Then
3: I mean, you might miss some ideas of like who the background of his character in general. Um, but like, I don't believe that he. I don't believe that the his appearances in Clone Wars are so so substantive that like
0: right that they would explain why he didn't escape.
3: <laughs> yeah, exactly. I think it, I'm looking now, and I think it's like four. Yeah, he's in like four episodes, so it's it's one arc basically. I mean, I took the fact that he didn't escape because, you know,
1: he did have his breathing apparatus and he didn't have his legs and he was fed up with the whole... Um, like, just you know. go with them, though. Uh-huh. He was just tired, you know. He,
0: he he does say, I'm tired of running, and at one point he says to Jin, like, there's not much of me left. So I, I got that, but I just, okay. I don't know, I wasn't convinced by it.
2: Yeah, that, with the losing parts of his body being replaced by mechanical stuff, and the there was a really long shot that took a while for him to take a breath out of his oxygen tank yep or whatever it was and it seemed to be like they were trying to draw some sort of comparison comparison with darth vader here but that never went into anything which annoyed me (laughs) yeah i
1: thought there there was part of the the sound effects on that seemed to be echoing that oh absolutely yeah yeah
0: yeah but But again why Why? it didn't pay off yeah yeah. it's you know why was that there and because Mm -hmm. they've now killed him there's no sort of you know, there's no avenue to, I mean, other than in flashbacks, obviously, with, in stuff like Rebels, there's no where to find out the answers to that, those questions. So.
3: Yeah, we got the end of that character without really getting and we got the beginning of that character if you watch clone wars but we haven't really got a big middle to that character and that's problematic when you're when you're introducing him as a major pivot point in this movie
2: yeah it's times like that that i think back to general grievous and think well at least it's better than that
3: (laughs) (laughs) yeah okay that's true (laughs) low bar liz low bar wow yeah (laughs) Um,
0: oh, i just realized we completely skipped over the fact there's no fanfare.
3: I thought you were doing a thematic thing where we just jump in. And it's just like the movie, Anthony. That, I assume <laughs> that's yeah, yeah. planned, open.
0: right. Yeah, in media rares. Yeah. There's, there's no, uh, I mean, you, yeah, you get a cold open, which Star Wars does not normally have. Uh, there's no Star Wars theme, obviously, because no this crawl. movie has its own theme. There's no crawl as we predicted in the trailer thing, but also the, they didn't put Star Wars anywhere on the title card. It literally just says Rogue One and it's on screen for like 3 seconds and then it's
3: gone. I was super surprised by that. I really thought I wasn't too, necessarily yeah. believe there would be a crawl but I thought they would have done the maybe just the like so both rebels and uh, Clone Wars has like an abbreviated version of the Star Wars intro. And I thought they would have done something like that where they show it briefly or even just do the thing where the um they do the outline around Rogue One that says like Star Wars, like they did for Return of the Jedi and stuff like that. I thought well, there would be and some that's branding. that's it does on
0: the poster. The po- yeah. If you look yeah. at the poster, it's got that same thing, the outline again around Rogue One, and it says a Star Wars story using the yeah. Star Wars logo. And that's kind of what I expected to see on screen. It was really odd.
2: Thanks to this podcast, I developed... A detailed opinion of the sort of opening and my feelings about the scroll that i wanted to see and well i I, that was the important thing for me apparently turned out to be i wanted to go straight into space and i wanted to see a bad guy spaceship and that's what we got
0: (laughs) we did although they actually fooled you because the first thing we see is not a spaceship it's you think it is it's triangular. It's coming down from the top of the screen. You think, "Oh, it's another spaceship like all the other movies." And then it turns out to be the rings of a planet.
2: It's mm-hmm. close enough <laughs> with yeah. a ship with a ship <laughs>
0: flying across them.
2: It, it became it got within the Venn diagram of my expectations. <laughs> I think
1: they just wanted to sort of pull the rug out of you and go, "Aha, we are a slightly different film." <laughs> oh, totally,
0: yeah. Yeah, there's no way that wasn't deliberate because of the way the shadow falls. It's clearly, yeah, yeah that that was not an accident. <laughs> yeah. It's very odd. Um, but yeah, you know, they did and They did fool me, I admit, for the first, like, you know, half a second. I thought, oh, it's a shit. Oh, no, it's not. It rings. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, I wasn't expecting the crawl. Um, and obviously, I wasn't necessarily expecting the Star Wars theme. But I was, again, surprised that we got so little of a musical theme. You know, we literally get like about four seconds of the Rogue One theme. Uh, and then it just goes bang straight back into the movie.
3: So I, I we'll talk about the music for a second because I'm a huge fan of the uh, John Williams scores from the original movies. I have them all, even the prequels. I've listened to them all numerous times. Uh, and so I've I've already I, I've listened through Rogue One eh, sort of once, but I was on a like eight hour flight, so I fell asleep a few times. Um, but <laughs> the uh, the Rogue One music is a little interesting because so there was a composer attached to this, Alexander Despa, uh, and he left. Before the movie came out, obviously, and before he had worked on the score, and so he was replaced by uh, Michael Giacchino, Giacchino, who is um, uh, one of a collab- frequent collaborator with J.J. Abrams. Um, has done a bunch of Pixar movies, did the John Carter movie, did the Star Trek reboots, did a, one of the Mission Impossible movies. So he's been around. He's done a lot of stuff. I've never been the biggest fan of his because I think that his scores are sometimes kind of thin and don't rely too much on motif and theme. And that's such a big part of Star Wars um, that I think it's tough to jump into that and – uh, well, I can only imagine that it must be great as a person writing a score to basically have an enormous toolbox of like options, you know, from the many, many John Williams motifs that have been around. He takes relatively little advantage of them. There are some some tidbits here and there. Um, Darth Vader's theme from the Imperial March, uh, the Force theme makes a few appearances. Yeah, uh, some of the other musical cues make some appearances, but it's overall. I mean, it doesn't. It doesn't to me sound. Straight up like a Star Wars score. Um, and so that, I guess, kind of fits with this whole movie, you know, in some ways. Like it's clearly a Star Wars movie, but they're also distinguishing it from everything that came before. Um, I haven't listened to the score enough to have. A strong opinion of it but it is weird that in some ways what it kind of feels like to me is when you watch something that's like a spoof of star wars and doesn't have the licensing and they're like let's temp in some music that kind of <laughs> sounds like the star wars score i felt if anything it got too close without being the star wars score and like maybe it should have been more distinct
0: more distinct maybe but yeah, yeah
3: i don't know so i i have I'm, I'm curious to listen a few more times and see if it grows on me the force awakens score definitely grew on me uh as things went um, you know, I've listened
0: to it a couple of times now, the uh, more than okay. a couple of times actually, the Rogue One soundtrack. And I do like it, but I wouldn't that I still wouldn't actually disagree with what you're saying. I think it's not the, the Rogue One theme itself, which is also the, you know, the fanfare used in the titles that we hear for a few seconds is actually quite good and distinctive. Like I can, you know, I can hear it in my head now. I mm-hmm. can remember it after having heard it a few times. It's that is good, but the rest of it, I don't think I could pick out a single note. Uh, you know, yep. as opposed to, as you say, with Star Wars, you've got things like the Imperial March, the Force theme, the Death Star motif, the, you know, the blockade runner, all that, the rebel fanfare, all that sort of stuff.
3: They're iconic. I mean, it's so hard right. not to get away from that. Yeah. And
0: part of that is just because we've heard them for so long, so yep. many times for so many years, whereas this is one movie and you have to assume, I'm assuming anyway, that the, the Rogue One theme here, which does recur a few times throughout the soundtrack... Is not going to be used anywhere else,
3: right? So that exactly. is,
0: you know, that's a tall order.
3: Yep. No, I, I agree. It's it's fun. I, I will say the one thing I do enjoy about Michael G- Giacchino is that he, um, his, <laughs> I just found out that this actually exists in this movie. Most of his scores, um, all the track names are puns and plays on words. Um, he's very <laughs> fond of doing that, um, and so uh in this one all the ones in the score I had are just are just like fairly normal descriptive names but I looked up on wikipedia and apparently he has alternate titles for all of them um that are all the puns And references in them and so i i do enjoy his puns they are pretty
0: incarcerated
2: the last track was called
1: something like a time to jedi yeah live and let jedi it's live and let jedi oh my goodness
2: i want to like this guy's music
1: the score to me it was a bit like the movie itself it had these extremely obvious cameos Mm -hmm. every now Mm -hmm. and again where they would drop in a bit of john (laughs) williams
0: although i do uh in the movie itself i actually wish they'd used a bit more of that because it felt really Agreed. odd seeing things like X-Wings and the Death Star and Grand Moff Tarkin and stuff and not hearing familiar motifs, because as Dan says, so much of William's Star Wars score is built around leitmotifs. Uh, that, that was a bit odd. And I, I kind of wish they'd put them in to the movie a bit more, actually. Uh, and i guess that means we have to talk about the uh the computer generated elephant mm. in the room <laughs> just before we get into that all right
1: slightly well it's the same subject but people keep talking <laughs> about the two cg characters in the film and complaining or whatever but there was, obviously there were three because k2so yes is you know Well, and there was
0: more, there were more than that because there are background CG characters all over
1: the place. But in terms of sort of the main characters, and you know, I didn't think about K2SO for a
3: second. Well, but it's an Uncanny Valley thing, right? Like he's a robot. Yeah,
1: Yeah, I know, but it's just, I think that it should give some credit to the people who did that as well before. Fair enough. We may or may not start complaining about the other. (laughs) (laughs) Because, you know, he's like, there was a lot of shots I noticed where, you know, the focus changed and it was all. Completely photorealistic to me. No, I, I would him. agree.
0: K, K2SO was absolutely convincing. Like, 100%. Well, much like uh, BB-8 in uh, Force Awakens. Like, a lot of BB-8 in that is... Not all of it, but a lot of BB-8 is computer-generated. And, you know, if, if I didn't know that... In my mind, my heart would not know if you, you know, would not see it, if you know what I mean. And the same with K2. I was absolutely, you know, if I didn't sort of intellectually know, well, clearly this is a computer generated character, I would 100% believe that there really was a eight foot tall robot walking around talking because he was completely convincing
3: and kudos to the performances of all the actors dealing with those two obviously we've seen that's not easy as the prequels have showed us (laughs) uh and (laughs) but i mean you know the human brain's a weird thing and so we're willing to accept that in place or or something like you know yoda is a puppet right and like we're willing to buy into all those things in a way that we have a much harder time with when it comes to trying to ape what makes people people
0: yep well, and that is the uncanny valley. You know, humans yep. are hardwired, yep. literally hardwired from birth to recognize human faces. You know, we are better at recognizing human faces than anything else that we encounter in our lives. Um, and so that's why the uncanny valley is there, and personally, I think it will always be there, or at least in our lifetimes, i because it only takes the slightest yep. imperfection. As it were, or actually not imperfection. Quite often the problem is a lack of imperfections in a computer generated face for us to go, oh, that's not real.
1: Yeah. I mean, one one of the other things that uh, Tarkin was in Revenge of the Sith, played by, I think, a human with Wim makeup to, yep. to
0: make him look a bit Peter Cushingy.
1: <laughs> a bit Peter Cushingy. But he looked really weird in that yep. as well. So, you know, that there's there's part of it is that they're making a human, but there's also part of it is they're trying to make Peter Cushing.
3: A a specific human. And in that one, he's not even a major character, right? No, I think it's just like, I don't think he
1: says anything. I think he just
3: walks. And he also appears in Rebels. Like, so, you know, again, you kind of get away with that. Voiced by the same guy, I think. Okay, but in the voice, I'm going to say the voice was really good, I
0: thought. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, it was. It was a really good impersonation. But yeah, (laughs) the... the, Well, it wasn't just the face. That was, the. I mean, and this is really sort of... You know, only something that some people, uh, you know, would notice. But I noticed because of my familiarity with uh, this technology in video games, his bodily movement yep. wasn't they're, quite they're there. You know, and I know there was a lot of motion capture and it was all modeled on, you know, a real actor walking around the set, but it just wasn't quite right. And right. then, of course, no. yeah, facially, it just wasn't 100%. It was better than Leia at the end. That was... Yep. There yeah, are. yeah. But it, what frustrates me about it is that uh, partly I think I actually would have reacted better to it if I had known going in. They kept it a secret. And if they hadn't, I think I actually would have reacted better to it because I'm thinking back to something like The Lord of the Rings and, you know, Gollum in that. You can tell, of course, he's CGI. But we all knew going in that he was CGI. And so. It there wasn't. It wasn't like they were trying to fool us in any way.
1: I'd heard beforehand that he was in it and CGI, so I was kind of expecting that. And I thought that that was the thing that had caused me a problem was that I'd gone into it knowing.
0: And oh, okay. So, <laughs>
1: so nice
2: <Well, laughs>
0: <laughs> worst of both worlds then. Yeah,
2: that's the side that I was on. As I avoided spoilers from the movie, so I went in not knowing that Tarkin was going to be it, not knowing that they had created a CGI Tarkin. And I think if I had known beforehand, then I would have been annoyed and irritated and ranted about it possibly online, saying, "How dare they? Possibly think they can copy Peter Cushing, and it's terrible and awful and um." Uh, disastrous idea, um, when my reaction when it came on screen was I, I may have jumped slightly in my seat and there was a, a lot of grinning and smiling and being very freely and happy and delighted and oh my god, they made Peter Cushing! Um, so yeah, I, I I loved it. I mean, I know it's flawed, I know it's not perfect, it's not really Peter Cushing, but um, Peter is actually my favourite actor <laughs> and um just it was just it was amazing i loved it it was just so cool I, I, don't, <laughs> I don't care. It wasn't perfect.
3: <laughs> I guess I kind of end up in the middle, which is to say, like, I, I feel like there was my biggest problem with it was quantity. The idea that, you know, the fact yeah, that if you've yeah. been in that first scene and he's seen reflection and you get the voice and you get his back, you know, I felt like, oh, this is just creepy enough to be interesting. But like, that's
0: all you would have needed. Yeah.
3: There's too much more of it. And then I got distracted by it. My my girlfriend afterwards paused and said, he looked like Dobby the house elf. <laughs> Sorry, Liz. And there there are whole scenes
0: of, like, close-ups on his face and stuff. And and I'm (laughs) like, you've got to be really confident in your software. Exactly.
3: Yeah, I was going to say, that's always tricky when you're a visual VFX person. I'm sure you want to be like, this is so cool what we did. And I don't want to, you know, diminish what they did do, because as CGI representations of people went... Yeah, sure, it was amazing, yeah. It was pretty good. And and it only suffers mainly from the fact that it's in a live-action film, right? If you'd seen that in a cutscene in a video game and everybody looked like that... You'd be totally oh, fine. Oh, people Whoa. would be losing their minds,
0: yeah. It would be yeah, yeah, some yeah, of the greatest technology you'd ever seen.
3: It's tough because human brains.
2: I admire the ambition for them going for it and deciding, yes, we are going to do this. We're going to make Tarkin an integral, uh, integral part of this movie and we are going to show what we can do, even if it's not perfect. And they must have known that they were going to get a lot of stick for it. And yet they were, they went for it anyway. So I, I don't know. I kind of admired that. But then I am aware that if it wasn't like Peter Cushing, if it was, oh, I don't know, if, if they decided on some other character played by an actor that I couldn't care less about, I'd probably be like, oh, that's terrible. <laughs> I,
0: I just don't think they needed a character there. They had yeah. Ben Mendelsohn. Yep. And, yep. you know, all know. they would have needed was, I mean, they could have done a hologram. You know, we've seen, despite their m- incredibly advanced technology, Star Wars holograms are terrible quality.
3: <laughs> you know what? No one puts any money. You know,
0: <laughs> all they would have had to do is stick him in a hologram, and they could have got away with it. I think one hundred percent.
1: Well, the Empire is still using CRTs, so yeah. You know,
3: <laughs> I, I like the fact that they brought him in. There is some. He's an interesting character. I always loved Peter Cushing in in New Hope, and and I felt like you know it's it's interesting to have him as a foil there. But it's it's again part of the one problem with this is we were talking a little bit about the fan service. It's not just the fan service so much as the the they're bending over backwards to, to establish the continuity in ways that they didn't necessarily need to do. Yeah. Uh, and, and I think that the, wanting to do that is great. Um, but at some points I think they felt that they left that, let that overwhelm the story this was trying to tell. It, it's a very hard thing to do. I, Part of me, I'm curious to know what would have happened if they had tried to recast that character. And I am aware of the difficulty when you're trying to put it up against a movie that, you know, already exists and takes place basically if not, you know, immediately after this, right? So you can't have him look very different. Um, And I can also just imagine it's hard to find somebody who looks like Peter Cushing, can do Peter Cushing's voice. No, I wouldn't have suggested
0: recasting it. I just think they could have written around it.
3: Yes, no, I agree. They could have written around it. It it seemed excessive to me. Um, But James will give me a a, a reason why that is not so.
1: Well, no, what I was going (laughs) to say, uh, I actually like the fact that Tarkin was in it because it gave you the sort of, Office politics aspect of the movie to a certain mm-hmm. extent. The fact that Tarkin basically steals the Death Star um, off Krennic, that he you know he spends all this time coming up with it, and Tarkin goes, "Oh, this actually works. I should do this." <laughs> yeah, yeah, and and, and I, I like that because it, it sort of it showed that Krennic wasn't wasn't like the the top of the heap, as it were, and and the you know the, there was always a level of management waiting to take uh, credit for his work. Um, yeah, and I think that. As you said, you know, the, 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 initial scene with him in the reflection. And, and I thought, Oh, this is, this is clever. This is the way they're going to do it, you know, and we're not going to see him dead on. And we're just going to get these glimpses. And then he turned around and then I, then I was like, Oh, so you are going to do it. But yeah, I mean, it, I think I don't know if it was the, if I was just starting to look for flaws and then I could see more
0: flaws. And I don't know... Yeah, I think that was an issue, yeah. I mean, there seem to be some people, quite a few people I'm hearing sort of reports of, who literally didn't even realise he was a CG character. So I think a certain part of this is us, you know, and nerds like us, who talk for (laughs) two hours about, you know, a a movie, um, are... We're going to notice this because we know what CGI is and how this technology works. Well, and yeah, all that, that computer cushion's
2: been dead for twenty-two years. Well, so. sure, that
0: too. You know. <laughs> what? Um, <laughs> but I mean, it's like you know, it's like your relatives who uh, don't know how to operate their TV properly, and so they watch everything in widescreen, even four-three programs, or with you know.
3: motion smoothie. Yeah. yeah,
0: and they can't tell the difference. They genuinely can't tell the difference because they don't care about that stuff, you know, uh, and so. I, I think, you know, overall, it wasn't necessarily the wrong decision for them to do this Cushing CGI because clearly a lot of people didn't even realize it was CGI.
1: Well, I mean, if they, if they've solved it for 80% of the population and, you know, next time they do it, 90% of the population, you know, they're heading in the right direction. And I think this, this is probably the best, uh, CGI photorealistic human I've seen. And I, yeah. I don't think you should understate mm, yeah. that.
2: Yeah. I mean, I understand that it was an enormously expensive process and it would be very difficult for many movies to decide, oh, we want to include this dead actor in it if we got the legal rights and permissions or whatever, because it's just they, they don't have the money to do it. Um, but one I, one thing I really did appreciate was I really, I think that it did, uh, it had for the whole um, Rogue One and New Hope, Arc here. It really did an enormous service to Tarkin's character to have him be in this one where we do get to see him just being his answer to everything being oh there's a problem, destroy everything and it really <laughs> adds an extra nasty gut punch to when oh Alderon, Alderon isn't like some exceptional thing for him he's been doing this for the past couple of hours this is just his latest thing going on I think it makes his death much more satisfying when you see it as the culmination of you really deserved that Tarkin <laughs> Yeah, wasn't just one planet
1: if you just got a new toy you know you'd want to try it out <laughs> and you know let's see what setting one does let's see what setting two does
0: now let's turn it up to 11 yeah. uh-huh. um, uh, you'd say about like how expensive this was liz but you know this as we all know with computer technology you know like th- 20 years ago it was also beyond most movies budgets to do something like terminator 2 now you get that on well doctor who you yes, know. <laughs> but I will also say that all my
2: information regarding it did come from random stuff I was reading on the internet about people being really quite annoyed about <laughs> dark
0: No, like, I'm sure it was really expensive. I'm just saying that you know that the cost of doing that is gonna come down dramatically in time.
2: There are um I mean ethical questions here. The circumstances whereby they used cushing. Um I understand that in the state of California it's something that like there's a 70 year something or other after an actor's death before you can yes. use their likeness. But of course, Kukushing didn't die in California, he died in the UK. So that law wouldn't, doesn't apply to America. In
1: the UK, there's no there's no rule for it. Right. I've never okay. heard that.
2: Right. Well, well, that works too, but also they're Americans, so they don't care about what our law is. (laughs) We don't have
0: uh, an actual, uh, I believe, a stated law, a statutory law about uh, likeness rights in the UK, Mm. whereas uh, in California, maybe in the rest of the US, but certainly in California, that is an actual, like, on the books, there are laws about that sort of thing, whereas we just don't have that over here.
2: But they did seek permission from his estate and I believe his estate is currently controlled by his secretary who gave her permission or his permission, I don't know if it's a man or a man, um, who gave her permission and um, apparently loved what they did and were like weeping and crying over it. Yeah, it, it
0: is a woman and she, yeah, she said she was overjoyed when she yeah. saw it. She was. Yeah. Uh, she didn't care about Star Wars itself. She was just yeah. delighted <laughs> to see him on screen.
2: <laughs> yeah, which raises the question of what would they have done if the estate had said no? you can't do Mm. that that's a terrible idea would they have gone ahead anyway and that would have that would have been a i've had a a very different i think the
0: bad pr from that would have been so so bad would have been so enormous that that's the sort of thing where you go yeah let's just write around this you know maybe use a voice impersonator to have him off screen literally just audio you know Mm -hmm. um and and write around the rest of it, and have another character because I yeah. can't. I have to think that yes, legally they may have been entitled, but once word got out morally, that they were planning to do that, the the PR blowback would be immense.
1: We have had Tarkin in Rebels already, so yes. you know it, it's right. now it's down to you know lots of lawyers in rooms saying, well, you know that's that's a well, CG that's animated thing, yeah. That's yeah, but the character, it's not the actor. But it looks like
0: you know a well, bit but it, like, but but not photorealistically. Yeah, like him. Whereas this, I think that's the difference: is that this literally does look like Peter Cushing.
1: But it's where I guess it's where you draw the line between the two. And I think we, you know we'll see. I'm sure we're going to see cases where you know the estate is held by one person, and then the other people, like the rest of his family, say no, don't do this, and one person says. Yeah, do it. I've right, got the rights. Yeah. Let let's sell chocolates.
3: with...
2: Um, <laughs> Audrey Hepburn.
3: Do we want to mention Leia? Yeah, I was going to uh, say that was that seems like the other.
0: <laughs> yeah, I mean that I I think that was just I think that was just a bad idea. Even if the CGI had been perfect on that one, I still think that was a bad idea. And that I does agree. actually lead into uh, what I was going to follow up with, which Dan you mentioned about sort of bending over backwards for continuity. I think that final scene. Did that and went just a yep. little bit too far. I agree. I I don't.
1: I,
2: thought,
3: I disagree. <laughs> yes, Scotland United. <laughs> oh, lines are drawn.
1: <laughs> I I thought that you know I I disagreed with um because again they did the thing. We saw Leia from behind, and I thought, okay, they're going to do it. You know, this way we're not actually going to see a yeah uh, exactly. And then we did. But leaving that aside, I I actually liked the fact that this. Because we knew that this was set before uh, A New Hope, but we didn't know that it was going to do, you know, literally the... to the, to the minute. doorstep
3: yeah right two um, minutes
0: before the start of the and i minute, actually yeah.
1: thought that i i enjoyed that and once i started to see all those those those, those guys with the funny helmets on mm-hmm. these corridors look a bit familiar <laughs> and then they dropped the um blockade runner out
0: the bottom i thought yeah, okay yeah. fine you've earned it go on do it the blockade um, runner was cool the one thing i will say the one sort of missed opportunity about the scene like if you're gonna do it because that scene is you know total fan service if you're gonna do it well, why not go all the way why not go you know full-on cheesy fan service and when the guy says what's in it what have they sent us why didn't she say a new
3: hope yeah. <laughs>
2: Maybe that was their line. That was their line. A lot you. easier
3: to snip her saying "hope," right? Because she says, "There is she. He's our only hope." Yeah. But yeah, I mean,
1: you could have done that, and you, then you could have had you know R two and C three PO roll into the room as well,
3: and, <laughs> and everybody high fives because you know. <laughs>
0: yeah. Well, and okay, so talking about people who don't sound like they did 40 years ago. Neither does James Earl Jones. I said this when we talked about the trailer. I said they should have got a
1: voice impersonator. He sounds terrible. He doesn't sound terrible. He sounds older.
3: I'm okay with James Earl Jones, and I, I really like that they they did uh, so Darth Vader's costume if you watch the the original trilogy and I'm sure we talked about this in the incomparable episodes it evolves throughout the trilogy yeah, and yeah. I liked that it's just as crappy here as it is in the first movie <laughs> like his cloak is like tied on his you can see the red tint of the goggles yeah. in his eyes I like I just really enjoyed that they're like we're gonna we are going to slavishly adhere to we know what his costume looks like in A New Hope and it's not what his costume looks like in Empire or in uh, Return of the Jedi. And we're just going to do it. It looked wrong to me. I mean, when I was I looking love at it. it <laughs> it's awful, but it's, I love it.
1: Because it was, you know, I was seeing it in on an IMAX screen in like exact detail. I was looking at it and I was like, was that really that
3: sort of grayish color rather it's, than black? Yeah, and it looks a bit yeah. wider. And- $10 nylon cloak. Yeah, it's great. I love it.
0: <laughs> but if they're going to be that slavish, as you say, to the look of Vader in A New Hope, and then, you know, why not be so slavish with how he sounds? Because, because James Earl sounds Jones com- sounds
2: great.
3: He does. Uh, that be James really Earl Jones. threw
0: me out. I was just like,
2: he doesn't
0: sound the same. No, of course he doesn't. He's 40 years older.
2: I can't tell the difference.
3: Yeah, I want to get back to what Anthony was saying about this being perhaps a little over the top. And I and I agree. I think some of it for me is pacing. Um, you know, we get that lovely shot with Jin and Cassian on the shore. Um And, you know, all the characters dying and then it feels like there's a denouement that should be there, but it's like five minutes of like, let's get your adrenaline pumping instead. And so to me, the pacing's a little bit off. It, it doesn't, it took me a while to track exactly what was happening um just like like actually going on because you see the people running through the corridor handing the disc over and I'm like wait these guys look like they're on the blockade runner but we're not on the blockade runner and then they talk about it being the flagship but it looks like a for a second I thought it was coming out of a star destroyer and I was just like I was just kind of confused about it and then I saw like oh you're really trying to like bring us right up to the doorstep here and and to me it took me out of it a little bit just because I, I like the idea of it getting to Leia and like But I felt like it didn't need to drag quite as much from A New Hope into it as it ended up doing. And to me, as much as I liked certain individual bits... I really enjoyed, although this contributed to my concern about the darkness of the movie, I really enjoyed the Darth Vader scene where he just murders Uh, him. That that was was absolutely
2: badass, yeah. (laughs) Amazing.
3: Just from the moment
1: when the the lightsaber ignited and lit the whole thing in red, they just
3: clearly were like, you know what, in the entire original trilogy, because we didn't have the ability to do this, we never really saw Darth Vader... Like as the element of fear, you know, like just the monster yeah. that he's yeah. supposed to be. Let's give him a chance to do that. And it's a, it's a fantastic scene because it's yes. terrifying. <laughs> um, you know, the, it's like the ter- watching the Terminator and, and, but it, you know, it does feel to me like the pacing is off and it's like, why are we watching this now? I don't know. It, it, it didn't quite work for me as much as I liked individual elements of it.
1: The the only thing that didn't work for me in that scene was I was shouting at the people to hand the disc over.
3: Yeah. <laughs>
1: stop! Stop trying to get the door open. You're Give gonna die is. anyway. Yeah, like yeah. all these other people just died to get this disc out. Just
2: hand it over,
1: you know. And you'd have given another thirty seconds.
2: I agree with you, James. That, that was that was my main problem. Was that I was I was desiring to throw in popcorn at the screen because they were not like, dude, you're you're done for here. Just it's it's not happening. You're not getting out of this. Accept it try and be brave in your final couple of seconds. Why didn't you invent email? <laughs> for me, the last couple of couple of minutes. I don't know. If, I, I loved them. I think that was one of the most enjoyable five to ten minutes that I've ever had at the cinema. Because, oh, y- y- just because it, were, I suppose it went against my expectations in a really good way for the end of the movie. Because, because you do expect it the scene on the beach they're dead oh Rogue One it's so sad but they didn't stop it kept going and it was really exciting and stuff was happening and people were really terrified and Darth Vader got to be ridiculously scary which isn't just great for this movie showing off what I suppose arguably should have been the only Darth Vader scene since the other one didn't really it could have I suppose been removed and made absolutely no difference whatsoever if you didn't want to see lovely lovely James Earl Jones deliver lines beautifully um,
1: Here. <laughs> <laughs> not just deliver lines but deliver a really
0: bad dad joke pun as well <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, but also he did the finger pointing notice that yes. like the the, the standing actor that they used did that finger pointing and just, when I, yes. I smiled when i saw that oh, i was like, no, that is, so cheery. that is such a darth vader move from yeah. the original yeah. trilogy
2: in a lesser movie you'd be saying things like that rampage just made the entire rest of it worth it because that was amazing <laughs> that is like they said dudes we've got about 45 a minute and a half here to make darth vader the coolest villain ever all over again what have you got mate and they just yeah. put it they just made this and and plus it makes it it makes a new hope better because now you've got this as the context for a new hope rather than okay he's quite scary but we've just seen him tear up like dozens of people tearing them down he's really scary now
3: so that was very cool that that raises the question maybe I'll take an informal poll from you guys let's say you know and this came up when when obviously the prequels came out but like let's say you've got someone and they've never seen any star wars movies uh, a small child, for example. Do you start hmm. with Rogue One? That seems a Hell lot harder. Yes. God, no, no. It seems no. harder. Yes, if you yes have
2: like a- This <laughs> is what I've, I've got my, my niece and okay, my nephew's definitely too young. My niece is five years old. I'm going to see if I can. <laughs> well, as soon as it's out
3: so wow. Peter, or,
2: or, no, I, I,
1: I don't see. I think it only works for us because we have seen the other ones exactly. Yeah, and I think if you started with
0: this, it's like what are you showing me these films for? (laughs) Well, and not only that, but the tonal shift from this to A New Hope would be so... You'd go into A New Hope expecting something really grim and gritty.
2: I think you vastly underestimate the flexibility and adaptiveness of a small child's well, mind. Well, it doesn't, ha- it doesn't I, have
3: to be a small child. That's I, one example, or, but. or
2: a slightly larger child's mind. I saw the original trilogy in the wrong order. I saw Jedi first for years and years and years. Then I saw Empire, and then finally, I was like 14 when I saw Star Wars. Liz, who did and this?
3: Th- who did this to you? <laughs> <laughs> I think Father. Tom Do you have their address?
2: <laughs> we can sort this out.
3: That's wrong. That must be righted. <laughs>
0: Going back to this uh, point about sort of fan service and stuff, the point, the thing I wanted to get onto there was that brings us around to the one really big character that we haven't discussed yet, and that, of course, is Galen Erso. And, mm. you know, arguably the, the entire core of the movie being fan service in that it explains why the Death Star has this ridiculous fatal flaw in its design. <laughs> um, what are our thoughts on that? Well, my thought was, how
1: does it explain that the next Death Star has an equally learned...
2: large. <laughs> 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 Geez, guys, they didn't update the plans. Well, they so, don't have no. the
1: plans. They blew up everything.
2: <laughs> they didn't update the plans. They just got the new plan. Well, they might have had a copy of so the- I don't know.
1: Tarkin oh. blew up the entire data center for the Empire. And oh. you can just imagine the IT people going, Oh, God, yeah. Oh, God, why did well, we they just rebuild it from Do we memory? Have
2: <laughs> and they remembered the flaw. Oh, my head oh. cannons. St- 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 You've got to glaze over these small things.
0: The second Death Star's weakness is completely different to the first, anyway. So it, it is clearly That's based clear on. End. I mean, it's know, a weakness in the well.
3: sense that they designed sections wide enough to fly ships through, because otherwise <laughs> they're totally fine. <laughs> yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah, into the reactor. Yeah, whole uh. new
3: whole new problem going on there. um I like the fact that they explain the flaw, although again, it's a little. Uh, I don't know. I again, it's a little too convenient for me. I I think Galen Erso's character in general is kind of. Slightly problematic, or or at least just kind of. He's a little he's a little two dimensional for me, um, because you know he is sort of he's there to die and to do something heroic in his death, and he's the father that then must be the imp- you know the death imp- the impetus for Jin, um, and so I love Mads Mikkelsen, I think he's a great actor, uh, I really I do enjoy him, um, but i I've, I felt like there was he, he's a cipher and he's there for a plot point essentially like i did not find his character particularly engaging and that's that's fine like he's not supposed to be a hugely main character or whatever um and as far as the the weakness goes i i I, I don't know i can't quite decide if i think it's it's a little too pat or if it's uh, actually a nice addition to the canon
2: i think my main problem with Galen erzo is i spent the entire time wishing that it had been lyra erzo And they just swapped the mother Mm. and father parts around. Mm. And that, to me, would have been immensely more satisfying because much as we don't have enough uh, female heroes on screen, we have even less mother-daughter relationships and massive issues and complicated things going on on screen. And that would have, even if they hadn't changed anything else, I think that would have made up for a lot of the the lack of representation in the rest of the movie for me.
0: There is a lot of father stuff going on in Star Wars, isn't there? Not a whole lot of mother stuff, which is a bit of a shame.
1: One of the things that bothered me just from that opening sequence was that Jin seemed to have a cuddly Stormtrooper doll. Yeah. And this this seemed to be a really weird choice for her father or mother to have given
0: her. Well, and also, they that's another thing that they really hung a lantern on. And I thought, oh, okay, well, that's going to play out later in the movie. And then all they use it for is when the troopers are tracking her Into the cave, like, two minutes later. And that's it, and we never see it again.
3: I felt like it was kind of a tip of the hat to raise rebel pilot doll in Episode 7. Yeah, uh, maybe. But I think, again, it struck me as just sort of a superfluous, weird thing... I mean, it could have been worse. She could have had, like, a Gungan or something. <laughs>
2: oh, oh,
0: painful. Uh, the weirdest thing... I mean, I, I agree, Mads Mikkelsen is great, uh, and he performed the character really well, even though the character was, yeah, kind of underwritten and had weird motivations and didn't explain himself very well and whatever. Um, but it also led to a really strange disconnect that, uh, again, I sort of only really realised watching it the second time, which is there's this strange... Disbelief uh, that this is true because mm-hmm. Jin is the only one who sees the message and what have you, but there's no disbelief that the Death Star exists. Like mm-hmm. in the Rebels, they're all quite prepared to believe that the Death Star exists, even though none of them have seen it. But the idea that there might also be a flaw in it and that yeah, the the chief scientist may have you know actually been a, a bit of a traitor and put this thing in there, they argue about that without ever actually saying do we even know this thing is real it's kind of, just, a bit of it's confirmation
2: bias there where they're like yeah we totally believe the empire would do anything big and evil and make the biggest weapons ever oh but we don't believe there'd be some convenient helping out of us that we have a <laughs> chance to go up against it <laughs> don't be silly well in, in that
3: case they should at least believe it's a trap right like you know because that's that's a thing that the emperor would easily do
0: oh man all right so let's uh let's go to our final thoughts because we are approaching we're already at an hour and three quarters (laughs) um (laughs) the i mean the one thing that we have to mention is the line you know this is a rebellion isn't it i rebel isn't in there and that is a travesty in my opinion because that is delivered so well in Mm. the scene that apparently landed on the cutting room floor. And I thought just was such a great kind of insight into this character. And it fit, you know, she still is that sort of character. It would have fitted so well. I do not understand why that didn't make it in.
1: I'm I'm assuming that not like in the blu-ray release but maybe 10 years from now in the blu-ray release <laughs> in the special yeah. edition in the in the super in the special holographic edition. it's redi- so annoying yes. we
2: have to wait so long i mean hopefully we're going to find out eventually but we have to wait like a decade before we get the proper behind the scenes interviews yeah and because there'll be
1: the the story of exactly <gasps> where they were trying to go and what changed actually and-
2: the thing that annoys me most is i'm sure there was a shot with her like in cuffs in the rebel base yeah, and that just gives a whole different. Oh, it's so annoying! I wish they just tell us what the other version is.
0: Yeah, well, I mean, and this is the issue with the reshoots, isn't it? Is that we just don't know.
1: Yeah, we don't know if the reshoots were something that was completely changed, like substantive, the
3: way that, or just like a re. Or if it was triggering. just pick up right. shots and yeah. Yeah. whatever. And, and I think it is. It's possibly they felt like that line just didn't fit anymore in the way that the conversation plays out, and I could kind of see that based on the way they do it. Um, but I agree that I was kind of waiting for it. It and it was like, what, what's up guys? You had like yeah. four things at which you sold this movie and none of them are
1: in the uh, movie. Right. <laughs> but definitely go and watch it again because then you, yeah. you're freed yes, from that yes. and you can just enjoy enjoy the film.
0: Absolutely. I enjoyed it much more the second time around yeah. than the first for exactly that reason, yeah. Um it has also convinced me I am gonna go blind on trailers from oh. here on uh because if they are prepared to mess around with stuff this much you know to sort of put out a trailer and then say oh actually no we're going to cut loads of that stuff out and because we're changing the tenor of the movie we've decided I mean and that's fine you know there's not saying they shouldn't do that but as a result like all it did was set me up for disappointment because there were so many things in that trailer that I thought yes yes that looks amazing I can't wait to see that and then never did see it um the you know and that's entirely my fault that's entirely on me but yeah as a result so i've decided i'm just going to go blind on trailers
3: from here i I just i just love trailers so much (laughs) this is the only
2: this is the only trailer for a new movie i've watched in like six months because it's so difficult for me to get to the cinema that i basically i never see movies when they come out unless they're star wars um and it's it's desperately annoying that it's the one trailer that seems to have the most or misled slightly yeah. the people that this is the one
1: i can't see them doing it again i mean like there's no doubt people that there has been probably lots of internal discussions uh in lucasfilm about it but you know when the episode 8 trailer hits you know if they do it again in the episode 8 trailer then yes i'm I'm with you
3: there's stuff in the force awakens trailers that is not in the force awakens oh d- d- don't don't ruin the films for me sorry sorry <laughs> didn't mean to say it. But they're not huge moments. They're not huge uh, moments. And
0: there there isn't, as far as we're aware anyway, there's nothing in there that was literally created for the trailer. Yes. Knowing full well that it was never gonna be in the movie.
3: Yeah, I think they are mostly cutscenes, yeah.
0: To be fair, it's not unusual with trailers for them to occasionally use alternate takes of lines that are more succinct or to cut bits of dialogue together to make something you know, just yep. because obviously you've only got a very few number of seconds in a trailer to get a story across. Fine. That's, that's all well and good. But actually creating a whole special effect yeah. that is really significant, uh, that you know full well is never going to be in the movie. That's yeah that's kind of beyond the pale for me that's a
3: different yeah it's a different thing entirely and a lot of these cases too you know keep in mind trailers obviously come out a year months before a movie and sometimes there isn't a final cut locked at that point sure Uh, probably usually there isn't a final cut locked at that point so there's always going to be some play with what makes it and what doesn't but i agree that creating something whole cloth is is just like it's, it's weird it's weird
1: i think if you can cut an entire trailer out of footage that hasn't been used from other trailers then yeah it's a problem
0: right <laughs> yeah. Yep. okay so so here's my final thought as again you know we've nitpicked it to death but i really really did like this movie a lot and i will see it again and i will be buying the blu-rays and all that sort of stuff and here's the thing more than anything else what this movie makes me want is a live action TV series about characters like this about the Mm -hmm. characters on the edges about the rebels and the rogue traders and all the people that aren't the focus of the saga to explore them a little better because you know, a lot of the things that we've talked about here, a lot of the nitpicks are things that if this was a TV show, they would have time to explore all of those things and go into that depth and go into that detail and we would get to know these characters better and I just think, you know, that would be really good. And, you know, like I say, I know we have Rebels and Clone Wars, but a lot of people simply will not watch an animated series, no matter how good it is.
2: The idea of Rebels as a live action is just
0: like, oh, that would be... Even budget-wise, you know, TV has the budget for good live action effects these yeah. days. They could, okay, it wouldn't be as grand as the fine, as the movies, no, but they could totally pull it off. Yeah, I mean, I think
1: the... And even if they could only pull off a few big effect shots in an episode, and the rest of the time, you know, people actually had to talk to each other and have character.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Well, like Battlestar Galactica.
2: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah.
0: Except without the end.
2: Right. Yes, God, yes. (laughs) Uh, Oh, dear. Liz,
0: what are your final thoughts?
2: Uh, My final thoughts are that I think that Ben Mendelsohn Cloak or Orson Krennic's cloak deserves credit of its own, and Bendels <laughs> Mendelson <laughs> deserves amazing credit for making that cloak work for every bit of video space that it had. That was another
1: would. cut scene where I know, we never saw I know. him walking yeah. through the water I know, I know. Oh, yeah. It was I the worst. It was just you oh, cut man. power,
2: you cut a great cloak scene, what were you thinking? But luckily there were many other cloak scenes to make up for it and it really was amazing, every time he was walking that was an excellent cloak, well done costuming for that and the other thing that I was, I just loved in this movie was when Admiral Radis, the Mon Calamari in charge of the rebel fleet came on and if there's one thing that, that was just that was another thing that just made it feel like proper Star Wars to me. I know that obviously not every Star Wars movie has a Mon Calamari in charge of a fleet but I love Admiral Ackbar. <laughs> I know, I know it should. Admiral Ackbar is definitely in my top five Star Wars characters. I love Admiral Ackbar. And I It really emphasised actually such... that the
0: Mon Calamari are kind of hardcore, <laughs> didn't it?
2: Yeah, I know. Yeah. And it was just, I just love, I love this. Admiral Raddus was a worthy- predecessor to admiral Akbar, and i was i was heartbroken when he snuffed it that might have been my most emotional death in this movie no
3: my uh well you'll be glad to know liz that my um my frisbee ultimate frisbee team that i captain is called it's a trap um (laughs) but i will mention funny my my girlfriend really i recognized the actor british actor i guess who played the blue leader and she was really upset that he died. Like, she's like, I thought his death was totally wrong. And totally I'm like, this is a totally minor character. She's like, no, no, I really like that guy. I felt like his death was underdone. And I was like, okay, he, I, I can't even remember his name.
1: <laughs> James, what about you? Well, I mean, I think uh, I'm, I'm curious what's going to come out of this in the fact that they've made what is a pretty dark film and whether tons of children are going to be taken to this and traumatized or if there's going to be any fallout from that and then they're going to sort of hastily all the other spin-offs are going to be sort of chirpy upbeat um uh productions but I- i'm glad that you know we- we've seen that you know the these spin-offs can be different from the- from the main films and you know it, it sort of makes it uh, open for what we're going to what we could get next i mean i think what is it it's, it's hands young han solo i think that's the, the next, next one, one yeah which is we know is going to be probably a, another sort of rompy type thing um because i can't imagine it being super serious with lando and han mm-hmm.
0: um i think that they've been saying that they're setting that up as a, a kind of a buddy movie yeah
1: yeah so it's it's yeah some bob hope type you know
2: lethal rote. womper <laughs> <laughs> donald glover cast in lando i imagine there might be much use of comic timing made one would hope so
1: yeah so (laughs) otherwise
2: they've miscast horribly.
1: that one's going to be presumably light and then after that i think it's boba fett or something was one of the things they talked about
3: official net
1: yeah i don't know if don't know if that's official but there was certainly talk about i mean i want to see the you know the ewan mcgregor standalone obi-wan yeah obi-wan like sort of middle-aged obi-wan as opposed to young or hard drinking unshaven (laughs) in his cave just
2: (laughs) just in his cave chilling for 19 minutes it's it's an it's an art
3: movie (laughs) i i would actually watch that it's black and white um no dialogue but yeah i mean
1: i i think what this film demonstrated was that you can do this uh and it seems to have made a lot of money at least in the opening weekend oh yeah, so, yeah. um i'm hoping i mean th- there there is a thing that i do fear is that like we are going to get a star wars film every year for the rest of our lives oh, oh i, I don't do think there's any question about I'm it. i'm okay yeah. with it
3: right now sorry guys <laughs>
1: <laughs> and at some point uh you know are we just going to be like oh well it's another one of these and now they're doing three of them a year it's not as special but certainly this was special and I enjoyed it and I'm, I want to see more.
0: Yeah, I agree that one of the best things to come out of this is the broadening of the palette because again, those of us who've played the computer games, the role playing games, that sort of, you know, like read the transmedia novels, um, we know that there is scope for more than just the saga style epic. Uh, you know, traditional Star Wars stories within this universe and that they can still be really good even though they're very tonally different to the main saga movies. So I'm glad that this has been successful and I'm glad that it did take quite a different tone. Maybe not as different as it could have been but still different enough to, yeah, show that this is a broad church, if you like. You know, this is a broad universe that can uh, accommodate lots of tonally different stories that can still feel very much like Star Wars like there was never any question that you were watching a Star Wars movie even when they were in Jeddah City you know it still very much felt like a Star Wars movie and I think they pulled that off really well and I hope as you say that they kind of you know going forward that they take that lesson and go okay what else can we do let's push at the edges a little here and sort of explore all this Fertile ground around the central core. Star Wars movies.
3: Yeah, I, I just want to say I agree very much with your your feeling about the. Um this opening of a much broader universe. And I'm, I personally am really looking forward to seeing it again in a theater without subtitles that isn't, doesn't have an intermission halfway through also, which is a really little <laughs> weird. Right. Yeah. Um, and, and I, I'm, I'm very excited. I love the sort of people on a mission movies like Guns of Navarone and Where Eagles Dare, that kind of thing. And I think this did a nice job of capturing a lot of the feeling of those. Uh, and, and having, as someone who has consumed much of the transmedia properties over the years, I'm always excited to see new types of stories told. Would love to see a live action movie that's or a live action TV series that's somewhere in this vein. Um, and frankly, you know, would like to see some some book. You know, if anybody if Lucasfilm wants a a a rogue squadron like some new Rogue Squadron books, um, I'm available. My, you can find my agent. It's it's cool. We, we can do that. Um, but I overall, I, I enjoyed this a lot. I, I'm looking forward to going back and seeing it a second time without as critical an eye. Uh, and I think you know this will this will be a worthy installment. And and I love the way that it's kicked off the anthology series. And I'm I'm looking forward to more
0: fifth best Star Wars. <laughs> There's your title right there. Before we go, I'll finish with a comment from somebody on John Scalzi's blog discussing the movie. (laughs) He he says, I'll quote, I'm glad that Disney recognises what Star Wars movies are all about. Ships. Ships (laughs) taking off. (laughs) Ships sailing through space, ships landing, there may not be time for character development, plot smoothing, or even letting someone finish saying something at the end of a scene before the music swells and overpowers the dialogue. But by God, any time anyone goes anywhere, we will see them board, launch, fly, land, and disembark from their ships every single time. That sums
3: it right up right there. That (laughs) seems legit.
0: (laughs) All right, so on that note, uh, thank you to my fellow panelists and Rebel podcasters, Liz Miles. Thank you very much. Thank you. James Thompson, thank you for being here. I can survive in space. Ah, <laughs> uh, yes. <laughs> well done. Uh, and uh, Dan Moran, of course, thank you for uh, staying awake.
3: Uh, I, I am one with the Force, and the Force is with me.
0: Uh, so, uh, thank you for listening, everybody else out there. Uh, happy holidays, because this episode will probably be the last one, or one of the last ones, certainly, before the uh, holiday season. And, of course, may the Force be with you.